You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. Now, there's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get it right. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouths. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beatty. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. Yes, yes, yes! July 27th, ladies and gentlemen, for a new show of the sports. Loud mouth, I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week, including us, the Loud Mouths, that are here every Single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. for the summer as we flip-flop in the winter. Speedy, happy birthday, buddy. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who reached out to me for uh, wishing me a happy birthday. I am now 28 years old, which in uh, the terms of NFL general managers would make me uh, an ancient guy for a running back. 28 is ancient? For a running back, the way NFL uh, GMs think now, I guess that's the way they are. You're a baby to me. <laughs> yes. Anyone that is a two, anyone that is at least two years younger than you is a baby. I don't know about that, but uh, I would say about our guests, seven. Some of our guests that have been like 38 years old, you've said, oh, you're a baby. You've got your old life ahead of you. Well, <laughs> that's because they were saying they're well, old. And, I, and if they're old, I'm ancient. I'm just saying. It's just the way that NFL GMs think of 28-year-old running backs. They have been saying this over and over and over again. We've had analysts on the show saying, oh, I'm 37, 36. I'm getting there. I'm getting up there. I said, wait a second. If you're 37, 36 and you're getting up there, I'm 41. So I'm ancient. It doesn't make any sense. No. That's the way NFL GMs think about running backs, too. So I think you're not alone there. I think we're all young. I think until you're about 48, 49, and you're hitting the 50 mark, that's when you're getting to that age where everything starts to change. Your body starts to change. Everything starts to change. So I, I do not believe at 41 you're old. But happy birthday to Speedy. Uh, I hope you had a happy birthday. What did you do for your birthday? I, I, it was stuck in the middle of the week. It was kind of hard for me to do anything. I was still kind of tired from my trip, too, because it was very long, a lot very, very strenuous. Well, you are going to Washington, D.C. next I week. I am going to Baltimore and Washington, D.C. next week. So my birthday is basically sandwiched in between two trips. Well, you could celebrate it with your family. Yes, and uh, extended family, too, that I'll be seeing a lot of my dad's like cousins and second cousins mm-hmm. that I haven't seen. A lot of them since my uh, my grandfather's funeral a couple of years ago Yes, that a lot of them came up for, too. But the kids I haven't seen probably since our last family reunion, which was in 2011. Well, I will say this. When you do come back, as we do this every year, I take you out for your birthday, and we will have fun. Uh, I don't know where we're going this time, but uh, hopefully you don't drink too much or you don't get too drunk so you don't throw up all over yourself like last time. But, uh, you know, we'll try to keep it to a beer or two, not a liquor of three or four cups, you know? Fair enough. We'll figure it out. But, uh... We will celebrate your birthday. We do it every single year since you've been here for five years with me. And I love celebrating your birthday. So I'm looking forward to taking you out and and enjoying the day. Out with Speedy. 
<laughs> At 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Duke junior quarterback Riley Leonard. He'll be joining us again. Looking forward to Riley. I, the season is right around the corner, and I told him we will reach out to him when the season is about to begin, which we're going right to it. it, it what is it, a couple of weeks away? A month away. College yeah. football starts two weeks before the NFL does. <laughs> right, so a couple of weeks away. So we'll have Riley on, and then maybe uh, we'll talk to him in the middle of the season when uh, – Hopefully Duke is fighting for a big ball game. So, and and I think Riley is going to have a fantastic year. Nobody's talking about him. Uh, there's like seven or eight quarterbacks that everybody's speaking about, but Riley had a fantastic yep. year last year, and I expect him to have even a better year because I think Duke is going to be going to be even better this year. So I'm interested to see what Riley is going to say about the team and and some of the players and some of the guys he's looking forward to playing with this year at eleven o'clock. We will be talking to Somerset Patriots reporter and dugout station Yankees podcaster host Julian Gilardi. He'll be joining us. So uh, he, we've had him on the show. Yeah, about uh, April last year, I believe. He knows Nithin, doesn't he? Uh, I he think must so. Know. I think so. He must know him because Nithin is always at Somerset Patriot games. So I'm sure he knows Nithin. So we'll uh, survey, survey it a little bit when we get him on the show because – uh, with Nithin, he's such an interesting character, and I'm sure he has stories about Nithin. I'm sure he does. So I'm looking forward to getting him on this show. No, Snug, I am not doing anything with Congress and legislation. Why? Why not? I am not interested in getting involved in anything related to politics. Well, maybe. No, why, definitely why? not. You know, I don't like politics either, and I don't like talking about religion because everybody has their own thoughts and their own beliefs. But, hey, I mean, Speedy, you can run for president, right? No. Why not? <laughs> I would not be good at that whatsoever. Why not? I do not know enough, I don't know, not know enough about these like, significant issues in any type of political realm, either local or uh, across the country, to be able to judge that kind of thing. Mm. Aaron Rodgers gets a new two-year $75 million contract from the Jets and will take a pay cut of $33.7 million. Jeff! I would love to hear what you got to say about this. <laughs> Didn't I say he was going to take a pay cut? Didn't I say that the Jets weren't going to have to pay $115 million to him? Mm-hmm. I said it, and it happened. Sean Payton takes shots at Nathaniel Hackett, calling his Broncos career one of the worst coaching jobs in history of the NFL. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for... Obviously, he's sticking up for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson had a terrible year, and he's trying to stick up for his quarterback because everybody in the press today was taking shots at Russell Wilson on the season that he had last year and what they had to trade for him, what they paid him last offseason, um, as a lot of people think that they were robbed. And, and the Broncos have new ownership. So a uh, lot to get into with that as well. The Giants signed Andrew Thomas to a five-year, $117 million contract extension. $67.5 million guaranteed. So their best offensive lineman is now signed. So uh, if you're a Giant fan, you should be happy about that. Jalen Ramsey and Joe Burrow both suffered a non-contact Injury today at training camp as Jeff reached out to me and said, "Uh uh-oh, Joe Burrow could be out for the season. But it looks like it's a calf injury, so it won't be as bad. Thank God it's not a knee. But, uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to get into because with minicamp, a lot of players get hurt. They're running, obviously, different routes or they're playing in different packages. And they 
playing on turf because they're not playing on grass as we have spoken to so many, so many different athletes, including football players, about playing on turf and, and saying that it's better off playing on grass. Some people like playing on turf. So Yeah, Trevor Price was the one exception to that. <laughs> the Angels say they are taking Shea Otani off the trade market and will be buyers at the trade deadline. Very interesting story. I don't believe it. I don't believe it because the same thing was said about the Nationals about a year ago. And what did they trade? They traded their best player in Juan Soto. So I don't believe it. They're bluffing. I believe that. And, and why would they let Shea Otani uh, go to free agency when they get nothing for him? I, I, do, I just don't see Shea Otani and the Angels deciding to go that path. I believe he will be traded at the trade deadline on August 1st. The Padres say they will not trade Juan Soto, but could trade Josh Hader or Blake Snell. So, interesting story. Blake Snell has had a pretty good year. He has pitched very, very well, and and Josh Hader has played better than he was last year. That's for sure. He's not the same pitcher he was with the Brewers, but maybe he needs a change. So, we we will see. I I do believe both Josh Hader and Blake Snell will be traded at the trade deadline. Uh, Let's parlay. Who do we have on tonight? Uh, That's to be determined. Uh, It's only going to be Jonathan if we do have him, but he hasn't responded out to me. Nobody else could do it tonight. All right, so we we hope to have Let's Parlay. And Bracket Wars tonight, the number 12 seed, Eli Manning, versus the number 5 seed, Derek Jeter. And the number 11 seed, Willis Reed, versus the number 6 seed, Michael Strahan. So pretty good uh, competition right there. Um, Interested to see what the fans will vote on social media as uh, quite a few of you, few of you guys have voted and uh, given us uh, your two cents throughout uh, the direct messenger. So I'm interested to hear what everybody has to say uh, as we pick the best New York athletes of this era. So it's going to be fun. So why don't we get into it? Because Aaron Rodgers and the story broke. And Aaron Rodgers said it yesterday. He was... Obviously, at the press conference after practice, and he was talking about how excited he is uh, with mini camps now opening up, OTAs, and all that other stuff, and getting the chance to play with pads and, and, and obviously wear the Jets jersey and, and wear it proudly. And Aaron Rodgers, I have never seen Aaron Rodgers smile as much as he has so far this offseason. Maybe because he's starting over, maybe because the Jets look out and look after. The, fo- the thoughts of what happened to him over there in Green Bay and, and giving him the reins of the team and, and really letting him run his offense. It's Nathaniel Hackett's offense, but honestly, Aaron Rodgers is the guy. He is going to be the guy this year. He's going to be able to obviously do everything at the line of scrimmage. If he wants to audible the plays, you, you heard Robert Sala. He's smart enough to stand and audible plays on his own. And they expect, the Jets expect a lot from Aaron Rodgers this year. But a lot of people, including Jeff, who attacked going after Aaron Rodgers. And now has to eat dog crap. No, he didn't eat dog crap. Not yet. Well, I don't think I'm going to force him. I'm oh, not going to do that. Come on. I'm not going to do that to him. <laughs> I'm not. But a lot of people thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to take all that money, that the Jets were going to have to pay him close to $120 million before he's done with this team. And over the last couple of days, 
Adam Scheffner, and many different analysts have said that Aaron Rodgers might take a pay cut. He might give the Jets some wiggle room to build a championship team. And Aaron Rodgers yesterday said, I know the Jets had to trade a lot to bring me here. And that it wasn't going to be a one-year thing. Now he says, it's all up to my body, but I believe I will be here multiple years. And when you hear that from Aaron Rodgers, and if you're a Jet fan, you should be excited. Because Aaron still believes that he could play another two, maybe even three years in the NFL at a high level. He already said if he doesn't believe that he could play at a high level, he will retire. But at the press conference yesterday, he said, I believe I could play at a high level. I believe we have the right pieces here. I believe Garrett Wilson is, is the, I guess, clone of Devontae Adams. He believes that this offense could absolutely be explosive this year. The question is, are they going to stay healthy? Are they going to be able to keep him on his feet? Are they going to be able to make sure that he is protected in that pocket so he can make every single throw? Only time will tell. Is Robert Sala really a good coach? This year, with a quarterback that good, where everybody's ranking Aaron Rodgers as a top four, top five quarterback still in the NFL. He now has a chance to show everybody with a quarterback, with a top defense, and with an offense as young as the Jets and could be very explosive with a quarterback that good like Aaron Rodgers with a new offensive coordinator. It's not Mike LaFleur anymore. It's Nathaniel Hackett. We, we will get into the whole Sean Payton thing because everybody was exploding today all over social media on what Sean Payton said about Nathaniel Hackett and the New York Jets. I don't care what Nathaniel Hackett did last year as a head coach over there in Denver because they didn't have the right pieces over there. And they didn't have the right quarterback to run this offense. If you look at Aaron Rodgers' numbers, when Nathaniel Hackett was there in Green Bay, he was back-to-back MVP of the NFL. He had his best numbers. Quarterback rating. Everything was up. Touchdowns to interception ratio. Wins to losses. His numbers were the best of his career when Nathaniel Hackett was there. So you sit here and you go back and forth on what the Jets had to do in renegotiating this deal for Aaron Rodgers. Because Joe Douglas knows that when players are going to be waived after preseason games, there are going to be Very good players still available. Players that you can bring in for a one-year contract to help this offensive line, to help this offense. If one of these wide receivers get hurt in preseason or OTAs, they're going to have to go after one of these available wide receivers that could be dropped by one of these teams. So Aaron Rodgers taking a pay cut this year, and really taking a pay cut from what he was going to get for the next two or three years, 
and saving the Jets about $35 million puts the Jets in such a great position to go after one of these guys. You sit back and you look at the position the Jets are in now. You cannot argue they're not going to be one of the favorites to come out of the AFC. You're going to not argue that the Jets might and could win the AFC East this year. The Buffalo Bills, they went into OTAs. I'm watching it. They're not 100% healthy. Buffalo still has questions at their running back position. Is their defense without Leslie Frazier there going to be as explosive as they've been the last three years? Miami losing Jalen Ramsey with a torn meniscus, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Everybody was excited about this secondary. How good could this secondary be this year? And adding Jalen Ramsey, one of the main reasons why Miami did that was possibly the Jets landing a guy like Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen in the same division. Jalen Ramsey could be out three, four, five, six games. That's a huge loss. A huge loss. You sit here, and again, going back to the press conference with Aaron Rodgers, he said it. He said, I don't know the numbers, and I'm not going to give you the numbers. It'll be out in 24 hours. He said, a lot of Jet fans and a lot of you guys are going to be very happy on the numbers we have decided to go with. Nobody thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to take a $30 million contract, a $30 million pay cut, renegotiate his contract, and help the Jets obviously move forward next year because everybody thought that the Jets were going to be strapped with possibly 60 some million dollars that they're going to have to pay him next year. And now that he's cut it up, and he really cut it in halves, if he decides to play, because it's a two-year deal worth about $75 million, the Jets are positioned where next year they could sign or re-sign players. They can figure out how they can make another run next year if they win a Super Bowl or if they, they come up short. I think when you are out there trying to argue what and when the Jets are going to fall off, and, and this has been for years, You're trying to find something to nitpick on the New York Jets. You're trying to nitpick every little thing that comes out of one of these guys' mouths. Aaron Rodgers' mouth. A coach's mouth. A GM's mouth. Hey, Woody Johnson's mouth. (laughs) So far, so good for the New York Jets. As a matter of fact, the Jets look like a real team. They actually look like a professional franchise right now. Their quarterback is answering every question, laughing with the press. The press are loving him. Now you have to go out there and win. You're taking a pay cut? Wonderful. You're saying the right things? Great. But you got to go out there and you got to win. If you don't win, People are going to start attacking you. And then you're going to become defensive. We have seen players here in New York become defensive. We've seen coaches become defensive. Uh, defensive, As we all know, a coach over there with the New York Giants and Judge, he said something and it practically got him fired. 
and McAdoo with all the team culture problems he had in 2017 and all the issues with Eli Manning. They go on. Great cycle of coaches after Coughlin. And finally, they have another stable one in uh, Brian Dable. Uh, I just want to read Carl's comment before I say mm-hmm. anything. Uh, I love how Zach Wilson's cap hit is more than that of Aaron Rodgers now. And that's what makes this other thing so brilliant, too, is Aaron Rodgers getting this $33.7 million pay cut and not having to do a lot of it into the cap and Joe Douglas it gives him a lot of leeway to even structure the cap even more than that, too. If Rodgers does end up playing that third year because he got the option, like Fireman Ed was believing at the time, could he play three years? It gives him a lot of ability to maneuver to do what they want. I even like it more for the long term, too. Yeah, they, they'll probably sign some guys to add some offensive line depth or whatever after training camp if guys are still hurt. But the reason I love it is because a lot of their core pieces that they're going to move forward with are – key positions, wide receivers, corners, and offensive linemen. Elijah Vera Tucker, Garrett Wilson, and Sauce Gardner, that gives them the ability to pay those guys even earlier, too, where you could pay them at less than they would normally get down the road, too, because those are be pricey positions, and now Aaron Rodgers gives them $33 million collectively over two years to work with that kind of thing. That's even better for the New York Jets. And I don't think they're going to re-sign Sauce Gardner or give him an extended contract because he's, what, second year in? Garrett Wilson might get an extension. If he has a big year this year, uh-huh. I could see the Jets extending him because they obviously want to make sure that their wide receiver is, is obviously under contract for the next five, six years. I could see Garrett Wilson. They could actually... Decide who they want to re-sign. Or maybe just sit back. They're only going into their second year this year. Wait a a third or a fourth year. See where they're at. See if they stay healthy. If they stay healthy enough. Then you could decide what you're doing uh, with one of those or two of those players. I I think Elijah Vera Tucker is the guy that you have to look at in the offseason next year. Right. He is going into his third year and going into his fourth year next year. I would, If Elijah Veritaka has an all-pro year, you extend him. Yes. He is your future at your offensive line. You don't know where you are at the tackle position. And next year, even though the Jets do not have a first-round draft pick, they have to look at maybe free agency next year at the tackle position because Dwayne Brown will not be back. He's coming off a of shoulder surgery. This might be his last year. And Makai Becton... He has not looked good so far of what since what I've heard right now at the camps. So he is probably going to be gone as well. So what Aaron Rodgers has done is helped the Jets out when it comes to contracts and, and maneuvering contracts in next year. And again, you also look at Elijah Vera Tucker's market too because – he could play so many different positions and what he's going to get paid as is going to be very interesting too. And that's why I agree with you. They probably should have tried to address that a year early before the stock even goes higher. We are talking about it at the beginning of the show with the Giants paying Andrew Thomas all that money. That's $23.5 million. That's the second highest tackle contract. And the highest guard contract we talked about last week was Chris Lindstrom's at 20. So you would think Elijah Vera Tucker could definitely are going to get something of that range too and maybe even higher if he has another all-pro type year. But again, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, before, especially the Garrett Wilson, before that receiver market spikes even further because Tyreek Hill's making almost $30 million a year, and so is Devontae Adams. Before that spikes even further, maybe they want to jump on that, too. Rodgers will be making $33.7 million less overall in those two years than his previous contract. Rodgers previously would have been owed about $107 million and about $55 million guaranteed if he stayed on his previous contract. Rodgers said the team gave up significant pieces for it to just be there one year. I'm aware of it, and anything could happen with my body or success with that this year, but I'm having a blast, so I really don't see this as a one-year-and-done type of situation. Rodgers was also trying to push to get an ownership stake in the Jets worked into his contract, but 
that fell through. The ownership meeting last week forbid that rule of players getting ownership because of the potential imbalance when it comes to a salary cap and team revenue. Rodgers would have still gotten paid a similar money amount and had far less against the Jets' salary cap if he had that clause. So I will say this. That doesn't wean out an opportunity in the next two years if Aaron Rodgers stays here and he is successful and maybe went to Super Bowl for the New York Jets, that he does get ownership and ownership stake with the Jets. I could see Woody Johnson doing it. I'm very surprised. I didn't know that, but obviously reading this and obviously going through all the different things that the Jets probably negotiated with Aaron Rodgers before they made the trade, they probably added that piece to him. But obviously, Woody Johnson could put it under the table and say, listen, we can't do it now. But before you're done with us, we could still throw you a bone and we could still give you some ownership stake to the team. So I wouldn't be surprised before Aaron Rodgers retires or when he retires that you hear that the Jets have agreed to give him some kind of ownership stake. They just can't do it now because of the the league and the way the league works with players right now playing. As you saw, Tom Brady. Uh, we heard Miami was willing to do that with Tom Brady. Yep, and now we heard recently he's already doing it with the Raiders, so that yes. means he can't play now. So under that rule, he cannot play with, for the Raiders right now. So Aaron Rodgers probably will end up getting it once he does retire with the Jets, whether it is two years, three years, whatever, because I, I think he's committed enough to this team and this pay cut really shows how committed he is to this team and really loves it that Woody Johnson would definitely give him that kind of stake. I do. I believe Woody Johnson's going to obviously offer it to Aaron Aaron Rodgers in the future. I just don't think right now he can do it, and that's why it's not going to happen. But we'll see. Uh, if if Aaron Rodgers goes out there and puts up the numbers and does everything that a lot of people believe he's going to do this year, a lot of people have said that they believe Aaron Rodgers is going to have 35 to 40 touchdowns. He's going to throw less than 12 to 11 interceptions. And there was numbers that I saw posted up today that he had 12 interceptions last year, and only they say five of them was his fault. Mm. And seven of them were practically tossed in the air in Hail Marys. And that's why he was intercepted. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So they, they only blamed, if you look at the, the uh, potential uh, numbers and what we have seen over the last year with Aaron Rodgers, a lot of people have said, including two specialists, uh, have said with the, the, the possibility of understanding of what Aaron Rodgers did last year when it came to numbers and what he is going to do this year, they said that Aaron Rodgers really was only to blame for five interceptions last year of the 12. So right, because he's never he's never been a guy that forces the ball down the field either. And yeah, he's had his big hail mary touchdown passes in the playoffs. We've seen that before. But again, it's also something where the Packers haven't been so far and behind in the games either. Where Aaron Rodgers is taking all those shots down the field all the time either. So yeah, that number can be skewed by every means. And obviously, the receivers had a lot of drop problems too, which didn't help everything. A lot of people, a lot of ex quarterbacks, think that Aaron Rodgers is going to have a good year. So. And I believe he will have a good year if the Jets can keep him on his feet. If the Jets can't keep him on his feet, he's going to run a lot. He is not the same agile or speed demon he was when he was in his 20s. I believe that if the Jets cannot protect him and keep him in the pocket to make every single throw and give him at least three to four seconds to release the ball, the Jets are going to have a lot of problems. They're going to run the ball a lot. As we know, they're going to do that anyways when Brees Hall comes back. But Israel has run the ball very, very well over the last couple of practices. So uh, there's high 
praise in what the Jets have done so far in practices. It is practices. They are playing with pads, but uh, it's not a full game. And, and we'll see. In a week's time, they have the Hall of Fame game. They play the Browns. And even though we'll see Aaron Rodgers probably in the first first five or six plays, and, right. and he'll probably sit, we will see how this offense fluently runs through Aaron Rodgers and the way he calls the plays at the line of scrimmage. I do not believe Nathaniel Hackett will be that guy that's going to give him plays in his ear. He will give him five or six plays that he can run throughout the downs and stuff like that and put him in a situation to succeed. And he will make the plays and what he sees at the line of scrimmage. So. Uh, Carl says Dak promises more picks than last year. Who has more picks this year, Dak or Rodgers? Well, Carl, here's the thing. The exact quote was Dak said, I will not have 10 interceptions this year. Who said he couldn't have 11, though, mm. especially with a new offensive coordinator? But I definitely think Dak has more picks than Rodgers. Sean Payton had some comments at the start of the Broncos training camp, taking shots at Nathaniel Hackett, saying he may have done one of the worst coaching jobs in history of the NFL. Peyton also said everything I heard about last season were doing the opposite. He also said it doesn't happen often where an NFL team or an organization gets embarrassed. Robert Sala responded, If you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. Peyton also stuck up for Russell Wilson, saying there were many dirty hands to blame for Wilson's struggles last season. The Broncos' offense was last in total yards, 21st in total points, and 29th in pre-snap penalties last season. The Broncos had some key injuries on their offense last year, including the running back uh, Williams, wide receiver Tim Patrick, and K.J. Hamler, and two young tight ends all playing less than half of his season. Here's what I'm going to say about Sean Payton. I think Sean Payton is one of the best offensive minds we've ever seen. We have seen Sean Payton successful when he was there with the Saints for, what, 13, 14 years? He also had Drew Brees. And you look at the offense, there weren't the same. Besides Colston, there were different tight ends. There were different receivers. It was a different team every single year, as we saw with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, and even, but not with the Indianapolis Colts in the the years with Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. I'm not saying that, but, and Clark. But Peyton Manning, when he went to the Broncos for the two or three years that he was there, it was a different offense every single year. Different players, different wide receivers, different running backs. So we know quarterbacks, because they're great, can transition no matter who is on the field. But the fact that Sean Payton is attacking Nathaniel Hackett because of Russell Wilson's woes last year is pathetic. Okay? Sean Payton, who was there last year working for NBC, I think it was? Yeah. Who... Over the last couple of weeks of the season, was throwing teams under the bus, making it seem like he could do better. I remember on Sunday Night Football when the Dallas Cowboys were playing, he was throwing the Cowboys under the bus going into the second half of the game. Sean Payton, I understand that he wanted to get back into it. I understand that he didn't want to coach the Saints anymore because they didn't have a quarterback. 
I understand that Sean Payton needed time to figure out what he was doing in his private life. Obviously, his kids, and he wanted to move closer to his kids. And now he got a big contract. He went to a team and an organization that will let him run the organization the way he sees fit. But why is he attacking Nathaniel Hackett, the New York Jets, All they're doing is stirring up problems for them when they have to play him this year. Remember, the Jets and the Broncos are playing this year. Why would you stir up even more beef with both teams and both organizations where the Jets are going to have the Broncos' name on the board, the team's name on the board, and have a check around it when they play them? You're putting more pressure on your team. What week are the the Jets playing the Broncos? What do you think Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers is going to do that week when they have to play the Broncos? Week five. Week five. I understand that he's trying to protect his quarterback. I understand he's trying to protect the organization and the team. So he, he has to blame somebody. So he's going to blame Nathaniel Hackett. He was the coach. He was only there for one year. And then he throws him under the bus saying he was the, it was the worst coaching job in NFL history. Who cares if it was? What does that have anything to do with Russell Wilson? If you're a great quarterback, it doesn't matter who your head coach is. Tom Brady, and I know Bruce Arians was there. Bruce Arians never won a Super Bowl until Tom Brady went there. Bruce Arians coached a good team with the Cardinals. Did he ever win? Nope. He almost lost a big game with Kurt Warner against Aaron Rodgers when he threw that Hail Mary 60-some-odd yards. Yeah, Justin Bethel single-handedly blew, blew that game, almost blew that game with two blown coverages, not only on the touchdown, but also the fourth down Hail Mary, too. And nobody's taking shots of what Sean Payton is as a head coach. I think Sean Payton's an excellent head coach. He, he's fantastic. And I believe he could make the Broncos single-handedly a playoff team this year. An absolute... Great coach, offensive guy. But when you're attacking another team that's probably better than you, is playing in one of the hardest divisions in all of football, and is trying to find something to give him a little bit more of a boost going into the season. When you hear Nathaniel Hackett getting tossed around like he's a piece of garbage, what do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to do week five when he has to play the Broncos? And I think this is more of a positive thought for their own players, too, especially the pre-snap penalties, because they were 29th on offense, and they were also 29th on defense in pre-snap penalties, too. So he's showing that the, that kind of like lack of discipline is not going to fly in Sean Payton's teams, and we've seen that with the Saints. The Saints have had many times where their offense did not take a lot of pre-snap penalties. Always had some good offensive lines, smart play calling, and yeah, like you were saying, a rotating abides of wide receivers and running backs that hurt them in certain years, not being able to keep those guys. But still, that's the main thing that hurt them more than it was the pre-snap penalties. And here's another thing that he said. He says, well, he said there was quite a few teams over the years when when I was coaching with the Saints that everybody said, oh, this team is going to be hard to beat. They're, they're going to be impossible to beat because they built an all-star team. And he said, what were they at the end of the season? Eight. They had eight or nine wins. The Washington Commanders. He mentioned, I think he mentioned the Washington Commanders. Yeah, when he was coaching the Giants as an assistant. He mentioned the Washington Commanders and the talent that they had on the team. 
and Deion Sanders was on a team or something like that. He mm-hmm. said they were going to be impossible to beat. And he said, what did they win, eight or nine games? So he, again, is throwing the Jets under the bus. I have no idea why he is attacking the Jets. He even mentioned hard knocks. And the Jets didn't want hard knocks. They came out and said, we do not want hard knocks. But now everybody in the league is throwing the Jets under the bus like, oh, they want the spotlight. Aaron Rodgers went up there at the press conference and said that he did not want the spotlight on this team. It doesn't help the team's growth. It doesn't help that there's a bunch of cameramen following him all the way into the bathroom when he's taking a dump. So I don't know why Sean Payton wants to attack the Jets like this. It only stirs up more problems. And I understand it's – and I I hear what Snug is saying. He's trying to build – Payton is smart. He's creating an us versus the world and bringing the team together. But if anything, that's stirring up crap with another team that you have to play this year, that you're going to be competing for a playoff spot. Why would you do that? It's not like you're in the NFC and they're in the AFC and you're not going to see them this year. I'm telling you right now, the Jets are going to have the Broncos right on their board the week after week four. And guess who they're playing week four? The Kansas City Chiefs. And if they run or they run all over Kansas City or just beat Kansas City or if Kansas City beats them by what? A field goal. The Jets are going to have the Broncos on the board that they're licking their lips. Now, here's the thing with Sean Payton's statements, though. I will say this with actually Nathaniel Hackett's head coaching. and I don't think it has any correlation with the offensive coordinator because Robert Sala is the head coach of that team. I will admit that in terms of my lifetime, it is one of the most three, three worst coaching jobs I've ever seen. Urban Meyer's number one, for sure. I think Freddie Kitchens with the Browns at 29. Nobody's saying that Nathaniel Hackett had a good season last year. As a matter of fact, he was really, really bad. Yeah. But... It's not his fault that Russell Wilson couldn't make a throw last year. It wasn't his fault that the offensive line couldn't block anybody. He's not out there. He's calling the plays. He's running the practices. If the team is not going to produce and the team isn't playing well, that's not his fault. It's not his fault that he had a tremendous amount of injuries. Mm -hmm. It wasn't his fault that he lost Williams before the season really started. He barely played last year. If you know anything about the West Coast offense and the way Nathaniel Hackett likes to run it, he runs it through the running backs. It opens up with the running backs, and then he spreads it out, and he spreads out the offense with the quarterback. If you have the quarterback that can move inside and and stand in the pocket and make every single throw because of accuracy, something that Russell Wilson didn't have last year, that's not Nathaniel Hackett's fault. Now, I think Russell Wilson is going to have a tremendous year this year. And you know what everybody's going to say? You know what everybody's going to do? You know how, who everybody's going to blame? They're going to blame Nathaniel Hackett. But what happens, even with Russell Wilson having a great year, Nathaniel Hackett goes to the Jets. Well, he is at the Jets. And Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers are running one of the top five, top seven offenses in all of football. What then? You're going to hear Sean Payton open his big fat mouth saying it was Nathaniel Hackett's fault that Russell Wilson can't make a throw? The only thing he's going to come out at the press conference say, if, if anybody from New York, after the game, after the Jets torture them in, game, in week five, because that's what's going to happen. I'm telling you right now, book it. 
The Jets are going to put up a 30 spot against the Broncos on week five. I'm telling you right now, they're going to torch them. And it's not just the offense. The defense is going to torch them. When that happens, what is Sean Payton going to say then? We weren't the better team today? I just, I, I don't understand. Before the season even starts, why are you opening your mouth? You haven't even, what did you have, one practice today? And you're opening your mouth? Come on, man. I, I just, I don't understand. And I, I, we've heard players do it. When you're a coach, you tell the players to keep their mouth shut. Do not open your mouth. Do not put your, don't put your teammates in a situation where our, you know, the teams, every team that we're going to play this year are going to have our name and our team on the board to torture and, and torch this year. And again, the Jets and Broncos are in very similar spots, too, because the, the Jets obviously collapsing the way they did last year when they should have been a playoff team, and the Broncos not succeeding on their expectations when a lot of people thought they would be a playoff team are now looking for that kind of redemption-type year. And yeah, I agree with you. The Jets have more talent on their team than the Broncos do. A lot more talent. But I also think the Broncos still have that kind of thought that they need to be able to bounce back. And Sean Payton is right to an extent. I think they still are kind of flying under the radar to an extent. I don't think so. Because you look at the AFC, like, the Jets are flashy this offseason. The Dolphins are flashy. The Chiefs are always going to be flashy. The Bengals are always going to be flashy. The Ravens signing Lamar Jackson. Ooh, Odell comes in. Like, they're, they're the Broncos are kind of in that realm to an extent. It's just, all right, they finally got Nathaniel Hackett out of the way. Now they're bringing a coach that actually knows how to be a head coach. Now, obviously, Sean Payton or Nathaniel Hackett's offense was good in some facets last year. I'm not saying that he was completely ruining And Russell nobody's Wilson. saying he was good, okay? I, I, I want to go back at it. Sean Payton has every right to attack Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach last year. But don't do it to the press conference. Don't do it in your first press conference talking to everybody, the whole press. Because it goes back, as you heard, as you heard uh, Robert Sala come out and say what he said. If you ain't got, if you got, you ain't got no haters, you ain't got, you ain't popping. I don't, I don't understand that. And that's why I'm reading it. It doesn't make any sense. But... If somebody, if you're you're already, you have another coach already responding to what you said, that's not good. It, it really, it, you're not under the radar anymore. Because now, you're on somebody's board. What are you going to say about Bill Belichick? Ask Asante Samuel. He doesn't, he doesn't think Bill L. Belichick's that good of a coach. I mean, seriously, what are you going to say about the Buffalo Bills? We haven't heard anything about that. And you have to play the Buffalo Bills this year. But you're attacking the Jets. Why? Because they're shining new gold coin. That's what they are. They're, they're a shiny new toy that you can shine up and, and say, well, Nathaniel Hackett wasn't a good coach, and now he's, he's the offensive coordinator for the Jets. It's a totally different team. You have a totally different quarterback. And by the way, Russell Wilson couldn't shine Aaron Rodgers' cleats. Let's be honest here. And I like Russell Wilson. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's going to have a fantastic year with the Broncos and running in that offense. The same Sean Payton that didn't want to coach Russell Wilson when he was over there with the Saints, when everybody said, maybe you should make a move. Maybe the Saints should make a move after Drew Brees retired. Maybe you should make a move for Russell Wilson. And he came out and said, I don't want Russell Wilson. He's not the type of quarterback I want to coach. But now you're coaching him. And now you're sticking up for him. And you're throwing 
another organization under the bus because they had a good offseason. Because they added Aaron Rodgers. Because Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers are back together. And this defense and this offense could be explosive. And that the Jets could be one of the teams to beat in the AFC with the talent over there. Not only in the AFC East, but the North, the South, and the West. Why is this man attacking a team that hasn't done anything yet? The Jets right now are a team that won seven games last year with three quarterbacks that threw more interceptions than touchdowns. And by the way, still won seven games and beat you. I'm, well, not you, but your team that you're coaching now. The great 16-9 to Jets versus Broncos game. And they lost Brees Hall in that game for the season and Elijah Vera Tucker in that, in that game in the season. I think in the first half. The Jets didn't say anything about them. I just don't understand this. That, that's all I'm going to say with this. I, I just don't understand Sean Payton on on his thoughts on attacking the Jets with that. I, I don't. Adam Scheffner reports that Andrew Thomas signed a five-year, $117.5 million contract with the Giants. Thomas' deal is $23.5 million per year, second highest among offensive linemen. Only uh, Lermy Tunsil, who... A lot of people thought that the Giants were gunning for in the offseason. Thomas Steele is $67.5 million guaranteed, the most in NFL history for an offensive lineman. Thomas was a second-team All-Pro player last season and was the fourth-highest-rated offensive tackle last season, according to Pro Football Focus. Thomas was 10th among offensive linemen last season with a 92.4% pass blocking win rate. Thomas will play on... On his fifth year option this season, and then the extension will run from 2024 to 2028. I think that Andrew Thomas last year was the second best tackle in the league. Right behind Williams of the San Francisco 49ers, who's been the best tackle in the league for the last six years. Even when he was with the Washington Commanders, I believe he was the best tackle in football. And I'm sure Washington's smacking themselves in the head because they received nothing for him. Well, that's your own fault. You misdiagnosed a very serious uh, medical issue. I believe Andrew Thomas is a sensational player. His first year, he did not look good. His second year, he just boomed right off the offensive line list. He went from... Probably ranked in the first year 25th or 27th in tackles. He moved all in his second year, he moved all the way up in the top 10. And then his third year was in the top five. The Giants were absolutely right about drafting him from Georgia. Absolutely. He's a bulldog. He's not playing for the I would say the Philadelphia Bulldogs. He'll have to block a bunch of them, though. (laughs) But he is a sensational player. He's the only offensive lineman on that line that you can trust. There is nobody on that line. And we'll see what the center, the young kid, does this year. Uh, It is believed that he is going to be a very good player in this league for for many, many years. But that offensive line, there's a lot of questions to it. And obviously, even though Andrew Thomas is making all that money, he can't play right tackle and left tackle at the same time. 
we will see this year what Dable and how Dable is going to try to, I would say, hide some of the deficiencies of this offensive line. They couldn't do it last year, especially in the playoffs when they played the Eagles. Oh, God, no. The Eagles absolutely embarrassed their offensive line in the first half of that game. And then they completely just gave up in the second half. The Giants have to run the ball successfully this year. And now, giving Saquon Barkley that that extension, and we will get into that a little bit in just a few moments, I believe everything rests in Saquon Barkley's health this year. If Saquon Barkley plays 17, 18 weeks, the Giants are going to be a playoff team, 100%. It's crazy to say that, but the NFC conference is just horrible. And I think still three teams can come out of the NFC East. That's how bad the conference is as a whole in the NFC. The question is, are the Giants and Dable? I understand they added Darren Waller. He gives them a guy that can block somewhat. Hopefully stays healthy and gives them an offensive weapon that they were lacking at the wide receiver slash tight end last year. But giving Andrew Thomas this contract was well-deserved. And the Giants needed to give him that contract. I'll tell you why. Because if they waited another year, it would have been more. They probably would have had to pay him $27, 28000000 because the cap is going to go up and Another offensive lineman is going to get paid next year. And if Andrew Thomas has another good year this coming year and puts himself again in the top three in almost every single single potential offensive tackle numbers, he's going to get more money. He's going to make more money. So the Giants needed to extend him. And I need to do it quickly, too, because you also you're gaining the reputation now of trying to make everything harder on these players than it actually should be, based on what happened with Saquon Barkley, too. And even Dexter Lawrence, to an extent, too, they really they had to give him the fifth-year option, but even last year they were still toying with giving him the fifth-year option. They declined the fifth-year option of Daniel Jones, proving that they're trying to operate in their own process, but at the same time, they're trying to be stingy at the same time. But Andrew Thomas is the one player they seem to have that good connection with right away, and Andrew Thomas said he's still going to be working hard. He's still not going to... He's he still wasn't even going to hold out during that, even if he didn't get paid right away. And he get, gets the money he deserves. He gets rewarded with, like you are saying, the second best, highest paid tackle contract. And guaranteed money right away, too, which we haven't seen from a lot of these other players. I wouldn't throw Saquon Barkley under the bus because he was sitting out and he wanted to get paid. No, I because, wouldn't either. Because he is a running back, and he has been there for five years now. And he wanted he believes that Ezekiel Elliott and all the top running backs over the last couple of years were treated better than he was. And him taking and signing that one-year deal with incentives that could make it $14 million, it's absolutely worth it. But look, the Giants, they didn't want to pay Saquon Barkley because they wanted to make sure that they were going to get this contract. And I understand it's not going to affect the contract and his option this year because they, they wanted to make sure that they can add potential add-ons on waivers if anybody, if they need to add waivers going into this season. So they wanted to make sure that they sign Thomas so he's extended all the way to 2028, but they know it's not going to affect their cap this year. So that's why with the whole Saquon Barkley thing, the Giants have no cap money. They have none. Right. 
So what they were doing was they were trying to protect themselves and make sure that Thomas was going to agree to this, which he was going to agree with it anyways. He, Like you said, Speedy, he didn't care if he was playing on his option. He knew that he was going to be a giant for the next five to six or seven years, or maybe for life. He is a giant. And, and by the way, could go down as one of the best offensive linemen the Giants have ever had with, with the numbers that he has put up in the last two seasons. And, again, and he's healthy. And again, that's the big thing, too, is with the ones they've had trouble developing over the last, probably since that second Super Bowl team. And even that second Super Bowl team, they had a lot of backup and like patch together offensive lines too but ever since then they've just had trouble drafting them and Andrew Thomas has been the one stabilizer amidst all that too and like you were saying I think he missed he missed one game this year and I think he only other missed three other games during his career he's played 44 out of uh 50 games in his three years so far in his career and I think some of the ones at the end of the season they were just playing to, not playing to protect him too so that shows he's durable and for Saquon Barkley it's important to have him on the team too because if that's going to help his value too if they didn't have Andrew Thomas you're trusting Evan Neal and probably another backup tackle rookie to be able to do everything. Durability is everything when you want to sign an offensive lineman. Look at Makai Becton. Makai Becton, his first year, who is a dominant force. Everybody right. was calling him the big ticket. He was a top seven offensive tackle. And then look at him the last two seasons. The guy, what, played nothing. He, he's played, what, one game? Right. The guy doesn't stay healthy. And now the Jets are questioning if he's going to start at the right tackle position. He wanted to be the left tackle, but everything that I've read so far in, in the first week of camp, he hasn't looked good. He's going he, – he's been – Tucker's been playing more than him. And, again, it just shows the stock of how – Durability can matter so much to an offensive lineman, too. When you look at that 2020 draft class, it, after the first year, all right, Tristan Wirfs was the best, and then Mekhi Beckton wasn't far behind, and they were moonshot ahead of Andrew Thomas the way he played because Andrew Thomas really struggled in the first half. But you look at the, the – since then – Thomas and Wirfs have been very good when they have been on the field, stabilized, and Thomas has been healthier than Wirfs even last year, too, and that makes a big difference for an offensive lineman, giving him that kind of money. But Wirth has had significant injuries, too. Last year he did, yeah. Yeah, so Andrew Thomas, if you look at all the offensive linemen that were drafted in that draft, the Browns offensive linemen, Wills, yep. and, and, and really Andrew Thomas, and that was an offensive line uh draft that everybody was saying that th these guys are game changers yep. with with all I think there were five or six tackles that were drafted in the, in the top 12 top 13 yeah Miami drafted one at 18 too as well that hasn't worked out for them in Austin Jackson but still <laughs> I think five total tackles drafted in 17 picks is shows a lot it, it to me it shows it shows the position that a lot of these teams are going to be in in the next couple of years including the New York Jets who don't have a first round draft pick next year that, that means most of the tackles are going to be off the board, really, if they're good, in the top 15. So, unless the quarterbacks. Now, there's a ton of quarterbacks that could be drafted in the first round this coming year. Uh, they're saying there could be five or six drafted in the top 15. If that's the case, a lot of these offensive linemen that could be high-profile offensive linemen could fall out. But the, I don't think they fall out of the first round. No. So, you look at the Jets right now. If Makai Becton fails and they can't re-sign him, the Jets are going to have... Uh, a position that they're going to have to fill next offseason, either in free agency or maybe they move up in the first round to get them. And that's the problem. Offensive tackles and quarterbacks are the hardest to find. They're the hardest to find. And everybody says, well, cornerback. There are very good cornerbacks in the NFL. You don't have to be elite. You just have to be very good. Mm -hmm. At the tackle position, the left tackle, and we have a quarterback that's going to be coming in in just a few moments. I And I'm sure... He'll have his own thoughts to the offensive tackle position and how important the offensive tackle is, the left tackle is. 
when you look at the left tackle position, and not just Andrew Thomas, when you look at the top offensive tackles in the NFL, how many could you say are elite? Five? Five out of all 30, what, how many teams? 30, 32, 32 teams? 32 teams. 32 teams. There's five elite offensive tackles. And that's why they make the big bucks. That's why you have to pay them. Even quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are making ridiculous money. and They're making $40 million, $50 million. But the second highest pay, play, paid player right on the, the, the next, you can argue it's the defensive end or offensive tackle. And also, how many of those guys stay healthy as much as Thomas has, too, throughout his career, too? Like, for example, you could take a look at somebody like Lane Johnson on the Eagles, who's probably the best right tackle in football. Like, he's had injury issues the last couple of years, too. But you can find a right tackle. You can fill in a right tackle. You don't have – the left tackle protects the blind side of the quarterback. Right. And that's the most important position because, to me, if the quarterback gets injured, your starting quarterback gets injured, your season's over. Unless you have a ridiculous backup quarterback. And how many teams in the NFL have good backups? We all know the Jets didn't have last year. <laughs> I mean, look at the Jets last year. From Zach Wilson to White to Joe Flacco. They threw, what, 14 touchdowns to, what, 18 interceptions? It was horrible. And they still won seven games last year because of their defense. The Jets' offensive line was horrendous last year. And I'm mentioning the Jets because it just shows you. If the Jets had somewhat of a decent offensive line, if Zach Zach Wilson had, even in some games I was counting, he had five, six seconds to throw the ball. If you give Aaron Rodgers five, se- five to six seconds to throw the ball, he is going to make every single pass really stick it up your ass. Well, we know he won't need them because he won't be dumb enough to hold the ball that long. When we come back, we'll be talking to our friend, Duke Junior quarterback, Riley Leonard, here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number to call. No Jeff so far. We haven't heard from Jeff. I we spoke about the Jets. I was very surprised we haven't heard anything, anything from Jeff from Tampa. But I'm sure a little bit later he'll piss me off. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loud Mounts, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. during the summer. Tune in with great content, great guests, and crazy callers like Jeff. Tune in and listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every single week, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had him on a couple of times on the show. We love him, and we finally have him on. New season, a month away. We are now talking to Duke Jr. quarterback Riley Leonard. Riley, what's up, man? What's up? Thank you all for having me back. Well, we're happy, and now we actually can see you. I mean, the last time we had you on, you were oh, sitting that's in. Right. That's right. And I, we, we didn't have your picture, and, and the, the time before that, you were sitting in your bed, and we barely, uh, we barely could get your picture up and running. So. And the first time you were sitting outside. I sitting in my bed. I would not have been sitting in my bed. <laughs> Come, Come on, on, man. I'm just, I just love throwing you under the bus, man. But uh, <laughs> how are you doing, man? Uh, obviously, last time we spoke, COVID was going on uh, or ending at the end of it, at the tail end of it. How are you and your family doing? How's everything going over there in Duke? Yeah, everything's great. Obviously, uh, freshman year with three and nine schedule, flipping that around to a nine and four last year, looking 
looking good heading into this year. We got 17 returning starters, so there's there's not much you can complain about up here. You know what's so funny about you is you always have a smile on your face. It doesn't matter what's going on. You always have a smile on your face. I do owe you New York pizza. And, and I was telling Speedy. No, no, at this point, I actually went to New York. You see this? July 4th. July 4th. And, uh, you know, I did it myself. I went to John's the Bleakers, the best pizza I've ever had. The guys didn't want to go to the other spots. I was so excited to go to the pizza. You were out here for July 4th and you didn't reach out to us? I, I'm upset at you now, man. I am upset at you. I was staying with a buddy. I was in New York for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were staying in Greenwich, so it was very okay. nice there. But uh, drove down to New York for like two hours, made sure I got some pizza. Well, I'm, I'm happy you did. It, it it's Well, and you tasted the pizza. But still, I owe you a pizza or an Italian dinner. Whenever you come out here, tell us what to look forward to with the Duke Blue Devils this year. I mean, obviously... Uh, you have a tremendous team. You had a fantastic year. Nobody's talking about you. You had a fantastic year, especially in the second half of the season. I watched it twice this year, uh, this past year, where you were just flying all over the field, making throws, running all over people. People should be talking about you going into this year's draft because you have a chance. If you have a great season like you did last year, you could be a late first round, early second round pick. I, I really do believe that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, a lot of people aren't talking about me, but to be honest with you, what's that really matter at the end of the day? I'm mm-hmm. not going to stress too much about that. Uh, I can I control what I can control, and that's just waking up and playing good football every day. Um, as far as the team goes, you'll see a lot of what you saw last year. Obviously, I said you got 17 returning starters. You'll see what you saw last year, but um, you know we're going to execute a lot better. So our, our thought process this offseason, something we talked about a lot, was instead of learning what to do, we're learning how to do it. Last year, we were running around like chickens with our heads cut off, figuring out what to do in certain situations. We were very, very young last year. Um, you know, this next year, after a lot of experience, we're, we know how to do it. Um, we just ha- we got to figure out how to perfect it. So we, that's, that's been our focus this offseason, um, you know, just getting in with the receivers. I, I got all my guys coming back. So it's not going to be a surprise to anyone, uh, you know, what we showcase on offense. Um, yeah, so. You'll see what you saw last year, but, you know, even crisper. So your off-season training in particular, is anything specific that you've done into your game and anything that maybe the fans uh, that were watching you last year might might be surprised is added to your game? Yeah, so you'll really just see the intangibles. Um, I've been sending a lot of, uh, you know, great NFL quarterbacks this off-season. Obviously, I was able to go to um, the Manning Passing Academy in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and learn from Peyton and Eli. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just the little things. How do you address the line of scrimmage whenever you step up? Um, how, where do you look at first when you're, when you're dissecting a defense? You know, the quarterback only really gets like five to eight seconds to really analyze a defense. And those are the most, you know, important five seconds in the football game um, when it comes to playing the quarterback position. you got to know where you're going with the ball. Um, you know, that, that's been big for me. How, how does Tom Brady um, – act after a loss you know he's got such a winning mentality and always seems to bounce back how does he act after a loss how does the quarterback act after he turns the ball over and he goes over to over to the sideline who does he talk to um is he complaining throwing his hat you gotta get these guys back and uh you know lead an offense and go win a football game so it's all these little intangible things uh you know watch film with the offensive line how can i communicate better with my center how can i you know let the receivers know you're hot on this play and I need you to look earlier. These types of things have been a couple of the, the key, uh, 
key things I've been focusing on this offseason. We are talking to Duke Blue Devils junior quarterback Riley Leonard, and it's so funny. The only thing Tom Brady has to worry about now is who is he going to date in the next couple right. of weeks. Yeah. I mean, it goes from Kim Kardashian to, I think, Emily Ratowski or whatever her name is, and then uh, Irina, Shayeka, whatever, all these supermodels. So Tom is is enjoying his retirement with all these different supermodels, movie stars, TV show hosts, or whatever the hell he's dating. So good for Tom Brady. What was it like learning from guys like Eli Manning and obviously Peyton Manning? These guys are two very interesting personalities. Uh, when they are on ESPN, they like to have fun. They're, they're very quirky. They, they're just two of them. I mean – Eli looks like the quiet one that adds a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And Peyton's just a loud, rambunctious one. Who, who, what really stood out from both of them? And who is the funnier one out of all of them? The funniest is Cooper, the other brother. Mm. A lot of people don't know, but he's also a great athlete. He is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Um, as far as Peyton and Eli go, uh, they're super down-to-earth and detail-oriented. Uh, Whenever I showed up, they knew everybody on staff's name. And we're talking about a staff of maybe 300 people. And they knew everybody's name and treated everybody, um, you know, equally. So that really meant a lot to me to go in there. And, you know, I've never met Peyton or Eli before. And, you know, they come up to me, dap me up. What's up, Riley? Go over to the Water Girls and know all their names. That, that, that really stood out to me. And uh, those guys just love football. I mean, you could tell anytime, you know, we started talking X's and O's or just getting out there and leading drills. Those guys were all over it. So, like, you know why the best succeed. Obviously, they weren't the fastest, strongest, or biggest. But, you know, I, I whenever I went to the camp, you know, I was I was up there, too, with, with the guys. I was I was physically, you know, capable to compete with them. The thing that gets everybody to the next level is, you know, the mentality that they have. So, um, learn, learning that from them uh, was, was so cool. So they have a son. Uh, one of them has a son or nephew. What is it coming in? Is is Arch Manning, who's getting a lot of hype? And did you get to meet him? And uh, if so, like, what was he like? And also the, his hype. Like, do you think he could be as good as them? Yeah, I was able to meet him on Thursday. It was a Thursday through Sunday camp. He had to go back to Texas for some uh, some Texas football event that they had. But he was there Thursday night. I was able to talk to him. He's a he's a good sized kid and you know super down to earth and, and cool guy. You can tell he doesn't do social media too much. He's a, he's just a normal dude. That's what he's trying to live a life like. So, you know, it was good to meet him. Riley, you don't do any social media either. <laughs> I'll post here and there. Sometimes I'll post like six months late after an event. Well, you know what? That's good because it shows you when, as you become a professional athlete, you will see that social media is so very important. And now that, you know, Elon Musk is, is changing Twitter to X, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, the guy's out of his damn mind. But as everybody knows, we are talking to Duke Blue Devils junior quarterback Riley Leonard. What is it like, obviously, being a starting quarterback, a star in Duke, I mean, it's known for it's obviously it's academics and it's basketball team. I said this last time, but what is it like going into a season where you're you're trying to put up numbers and really trying to show everybody that Duke is not only known for their basketball, they're known for their football as well. Uh, yeah, well, first things first. You said John Shire was a terrible pick, and he went undefeated at home this year. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> no, there's no hold. You said it. Uh, yeah, I remember it. Uh, I remember it, um, but uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to yeah. stick up for John. I knew it, no matter what. 
He's a great guy. You, you should get to know him. If <laughs> <laughs> you ever get the chance to go eat lunch with John Shire, don't. <laughs> That's why you love him. He took you out for lunch. No, That's he, why. He never But yeah, being at being at a school like Duke and being the starting quarterback is obviously super low key. Um, you know, and I, I think that's good for me. I, I think it's good for me not to get a big head and walk around campus and act like I'm somebody. Because at the end of the day, like, I haven't really proved much yet. You know, I had an all right season last year, but I want to win the ACC championship and go to the NFL. So um, I think it's good for me to stay grounded. Uh, you know, the, the, the support's coming, though. Around Durham, there's a lot of buzz about the football program. Coach Yucca is obviously doing a bunch of great things with us and uh, around the community. So it's, uh, it's definitely cool to see, you know, the fan base grow around Durham. So our, one of our fans, Carl, is mentioning a lot of the uh, top ACC competition for you guys. Florida State, which we, we interviewed uh, one of their former players a couple weeks ago in Cameron McDonald. They got a nice quarterback in Jordan Travis. Then North Carolina's got Drake May. And, and then you got Clemson, who's been the powerhouse of the ACC for a while. So any of those uh, teams that you're looking forward to going up against and really stand out? Just so, you, just so you know, I am a Florida State fan. But if you play when you play Florida State this year – I'm rooting for you, okay? Right. I, I love you. I want you to succeed. And Florida State hasn't been any good for the last couple of years. So, it, to me, if they lose or win this year, it wouldn't matter to me. So, I want to see you win, and I want you to be a top quarterback. So, I just want to let you know that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. As far as uh, looking, looking forward to one team in particular, I mean, or one game in particular, I, I really don't care, care too much about that. It's funny whenever you're you're a – you're a fan looking from the outside. You're you're super excited for certain games, but you know whenever you're preparing for a team, it's it's the same routine every week. Obviously, a different aura and atmosphere against mm-hmm. UNC and everything. But at the end of the day, it's just another game. So I don't I don't really care who we're playing against. As everybody knows, we are talking to Duke's junior quarterback Riley Leonard. And it's so funny. We we've had a couple of North Carolina players that that have been on our show, and uh, they're they're very intriguing and very interesting people as well. So, uh, but uh, you know, we mentioned you, and uh, they all know who you are. So that 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 should blow your head up. I mean, people are starting to recognize who you are. So, what is it like? I mean, obviously, there are quarterbacks right now. People going into this season, everybody's talking about Heisman Trophy candidates. Everybody's saying that this coming year, when it comes to the quarterback, uh, there could be six or seven first-round draft picks. And nobody, so far, I've not heard anybody speak about you. And it's so interesting because when you look at your numbers and everything that you did last year in Duke, you really stuck out as one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. So what what do you say to that? Um, I, I like. Come on, come on! Give us something, Riley. Give us something. I know. I, I I wish I could, but like to be honest with you, like I really don't. I really don't care uh, <laughs> what you rank me. I mean, I, like I say, at the end of the day, I'm gonna go to bed and I'm gonna sleep great. Whether you tell me I'm the best or the worst in the ACC, it doesn't really matter to me. Do you uh, fit your bed? Do you, you're you know, six foot four. Do you fit your bed? These lists does give me some motivation whenever I'm hit last rep or squat or whatever it may be, but an opinion is just an opinion. Well, hold on one second. Do you fit your bed? I mean, you're six foot four. You're pretty long. Do you, do you actually fit in your bed? 
<laughs> I've been my best. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of uh, college players, and I've asked them that question. I was like, "Do you? I mean, you're like 300 pounds, and you're like six foot eight, right. six. How the hell do you fit in your bed?" And he says, "Well, we had the basketball player on that was six ten. He says he had to sleep on a couch because yeah. he couldn't right. he couldn't sleep in his bed. So." Oh, wow. That's a great question. Then I, for one, do fit in my bed. Yeah. Well, well, that's good. That's a that's a good sign for you, man. I mean, that's good. That's Very good. Important. That's that's Very a positive. Important. So, what uh, what's going on with you this this off season with some nil deals? Do you have any nil nil deals right now uh, going into the season? Yeah. So I I keep it more low key. Only really sign a deal that I really find interest in. Not really big into the whole nil thing, but I do have a marketing agent. He's been great. Um, was able to sign a couple of trading card deals. Those are those are super easy um, and, and good. Um, able to you know sell them online. They're not out yet, I don't think. But uh, yeah, they're great to work with. Super easy and uh, so a couple. Of You're so calm. He's like, oh, I had a couple of cards. You know, they're online. I don't like to talk about myself. <laughs> I know you don't. I want to blow your head up. I, I I want to see you. I want you. I want you to tell everybody. I'm going out this season. I'm putting up the numbers. I'm gonna shove the ball down your damn throats. When I throw thirty touchdowns, run in fifteen touchdowns, and everybody's talking about Heisman Trophy candidate Riley Leonard. Then, uh, then we're, we're we're talking about something great. But th- I'm trying to blow your head up right now, man. I'm, I'm trying to give you. I, I'm I'm not just a fan of yours. I think you're a good kid, and I and I think you deserve all the credit that you had last year. People did not expect the season that you had last year, and now you're going into your junior year where you have a chance to to be, I believe, a top a, a top three round. Uh, type of quarterback where you could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. You have the ability, and we see what Daniel Jones did with the Giants this past year. Why couldn't you do that? And honestly, all-around talent that I've seen and I've compared your skills to Daniel Jones, when Daniel Jones was at the position that you're at right now, honestly, you're a better quarterback than him. I know you don't want to blow your head up. I'm just telling you my my thoughts to it. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a Huge compliment. Obviously, he uh, he just made a lot of money, mm-hmm. and you're going to make a lot of money too if you continue doing what you're doing. That's for Appreciate damn sure. <laughs> My dad always says somebody's got to get drafted, so why not it be you? <laughs> <laughs> you have a smart father. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of money, uh, we heard some interesting comments last week from Lane Kiffin, who said that uh, <laughs> the NIL deals in college football have been uh, bad for the sport, and the transfer portal gives the player too much power. I'm, I mean, obviously, you're still loyal to your school in Duke, but I'm sure you've had a lot of uh, teammates that have transferred and vice versa coming into Duke. So what are your thoughts on those comments? It's very tricky. College football is just who has the most money, who can pay for their for the most players um we at duke handled it really well uh and a lot of the guys that come to duke come come to duke for much more than just an nil and and money in that regard we we come to duke for the education i know that sounds cliche but it's the truth so yeah sorry i got this i just got done working out dude it's all right man i work out too i worked out today too so i i'm not wearing any i'm not wearing any of the stuff that i worked out with but you know it's okay i mean we're we're just happy to have you on that's all right and you want to know something you know what i think about lane kiffin so i i could care less what lane kiffin says i mean the guy has been an absolute joke when he was here in the nfl or he's he's a good coach i just I think he speaks too much. There's a lot of coaches. You're making a lot of money. Why are you taking away from 
players making money. I, I don't understand that. You're making $9 million or $7 million. You have Saban making, what, $12, $13 million. These coaches are making ridiculous money. Jim Harbaugh just got a huge contract, and this guy's going to get suspended for four or five games because he's cheating, violations. So, I, I mean, seriously, why are these guys uh, talking when you have a player like you who's not even trying to make big bucks? You heard it from your voice, your, your mouth. You have no thoughts on really pulling in a lot of money because you just want to concentrate on the game and what you're doing on the field, and I respect that. So when you look at the league, you, you look at the college game as a whole of what you've seen as a freshman to now as a junior, what has changed in your eyes as a quarterback? Yeah, uh, I think I've just grown to trust the 10 guys around me more. I think as a freshman, I went in there and expected to have to make a play every single play. I, I think I thought playing in the quarterback position meant I have to throw the ball down the field every play or I have to make some spectacular run and jump over somebody and just carry the team on my back. But now I, I really learned, like, my job, and this is something me and Coach John talk about, a lot of my offense coordinators get four yards of play. That's all. That's all we're really trying to do is just get four yards of play and you'll be fine. Um, and I think that you know really simplifies the game for me because I can throw a screen, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and, and get four yards of play. It's, I just try to make the game as simple as possible. You can hand the ball off four yards of play. Uh, you know, there's so many different things. I just keep having to remind myself now that I'm a junior that. Uh, you know, I don't have to do it all. It's so crazy. I remember when you were a senior in high school and when we were interviewing you, and now you're a junior in college. I mean, like, wow, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. This kid is is still young. He's still a baby. I remember when, I, when, when you were just about to head to Duke and uh, you were unsure if you were going – uh, to be a starter until your your junior year. That's what usually uh, college quarterbacks, unless you're like a high-profile quarterback. And and you, in your sophomore year, where you became the starting quarterback of the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah, so I, I did start one game my freshman I do, I, I remember that, yes. Yeah, Virginia Tech played mm-hmm. awful. Don't go watch that game. Well, that's why <laughs> I didn't mention it, and you threw yourself yeah, yeah. under the bus. Yeah, yeah, See what you guy. do to yourself, I'm buddy. Played terrible that game. That's why I didn't uh, mention it. Why did you say that? I want to blow well, your head I, up here, hey, man. Hey, hey Riley, Riley's, Riley's taking responsibility, <laughs> unlike Zach Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't start any game after that that season, uh, rightfully so. But I did start uh, my sophomore season, and uh, mm-hmm. it's crazy that, that it flew by this quickly. Yeah. At this time last year, I hadn't gotten the starting job back. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any clue if I would ever play another snap of college football. So to be in the shoes that I am today, it's like, super grateful and it's kind of surreal to be honest we've actually had a lot of college you know ppr specialists on the show and and talking about analytics and and quite a few of them said very high praises about you mm-hmm. and and believe that you're going to have a fantastic year you're going to put up the numbers and there you could be spoken about or really seen to be a top 10 quarterback in college football this year. So when you get that kind of praise, what do you say to that? I know you don't want to blow yourself up, but there's a lot of different people that believe that you could be a top 10 quarterback right now in college football. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool to hear. Um, I don't know. I'm just like super critical on myself at all times. So I just keep reminding myself, like I, I really haven't done much and, you know, after the year, if I do end up becoming a top-ten quarterback in college football, 
I kind of applaud myself then. As far as the preseason rankings go, obviously last year we were projected to go two and ten and went nine and four. So <laughs> anything can happen, really. So one of our fans, uh, Carl, has a question. Have you seen a uh, quarterback on Netflix? And if so, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I started that uh, yesterday on my way back from ACC Media Day. It was uh, it was really interesting to, to see the perspective from, from those three guys because they're all so different. Um, I, I need to keep watching it because I'm excited to learn from them and how they operate and how seriously they take the game because obviously that's a full-time job, so – I'm really excited to hopefully get in their, their shoes and not have to go to class anymore, and I can just focus on football. Well, I will say this. I watched the whole series. It's fantastic. If you love football and you are intrigued at the quarterback position, you are a quarterback. But even if you dreamed about being a quarterback, it's something that you get to ch- really check out their everyday life and how they live their life, not only just going to practice, how they, how they train, um, their family life behind football. It's very interesting. I, I think it's just uh, – it, it's cool. And it, it's so funny because now they're trying to figure out the second year this year on who's going to be the three quarterbacks that they're going to follow. follow. And just they, they approach Justin Fields, and I love what Justin Fields had to say. He said – I, he declined doing it, and he said, I, I'm more concentrating on my game this year and my team. I don't want cameras following me and putting me in a situation where I feel like I'm going to fail. So mm-hmm. I, I love that answer by Justin Fields, and that's what tells me that Justin Fields is going to take two steps forward this year as a quarterback, uh, if, uh, as the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. But um, as everybody knows, we are talking to Duke Blue Devils junior quarterback, our friend Riley Leonard. Riley, last question for me, because I know you're busy, and I know you want to go home and eat because you've been training. And uh, hopefully you eat some pizza, you know, and put some meat on those bones. I had pizza, uh, like, three hours ago. There you go, man. I, you see? I had pizza tonight, too, after I trained. So there you go. Uh, but um, my question to you is, first of all, how are you and your girlfriend? Is everything going good what, over, over there? Yeah, we're, going, we're, we're doing great. Oh, that's yeah. great. Surprised me like last week. Uh, flew up here, mm-hmm. so that, that's been good. But yeah, we're doing real good. And Thanks my, and so so there you go for all the ladies out there. Riley is still taken, so he is not a free agent. So th- that was one question. And my final question to you is: When you look at the ACC this year, and you look at your team, and you're comparing your team to all the teams in your division, what stands out? that makes your team stand out from all the rest? Yeah, I think two things. One, we are the hardest working guys. We're not the biggest, not the fastest, but we are the hardest working group of guys um, in the ACC. I, I really do think that. And number two, something Coach Elko talks a lot about is FBI, which is football intelligence. Obviously, you come to Duke for a reason. You're a pretty smart kid. <laughs> you got to use that to our advantage. And I think we did that last year. So we can't. That's kind of like our secret sauce are those two things outwork people and outsmart people. Um, the, the, those are our two uh, recipes for success, and uh, we're going to keep that up this year. So my last question, kind of a two-parter, one of which is from our friends. Uh, Carl, do you have a favorite class that you've taken either last semester at Ooh. Duke or maybe you're looking forward to? And also, Absolutely. just throughout this offseason, I know you mentioned you were in New York on 4th of July. Any any cool things that you did off the field? He doesn't like school. You, did, you just heard him. Yeah, so I got a whole lot of least favorite classes. That <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, that'll, that'll apply to in all seriousness, uh, sports management by my man Ed T. Uh, it was a really cool class in markets and management studies that I took. I'm, I'm getting a markets and management studies certificate here at Duke, so that was a pretty cool class. 
Um, and then some other fun things. I was able to host a ca- kids camp back home, hmm. uh, surprise them with Kona Ice. I think they were more excited about that than, than playing football. But, uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know Kona Ice, it's just like uh, snow cones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I surprised them with that at the end of the camp. Some other things, I was able to catch a lot of fish this summer, so that made me pretty happy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm a pretty simple guy. I just like to do stuff that everybody else likes to do. Favorite snow cone? Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever oh, look at him. He, he likes every single color. Uh, yeah. I'm more of a cherry guy, so I like cherry. Oh, wow. What, you I'd don't like cherry? My, I'd be lower on my list for sure. But How about, hey. how about blue raspberry? Yeah, I mean, that's everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say blue raspberry because everybody loves it. Everybody says that, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, man, I, I was trying to help you out. I didn't want to mention that freshman game. You mentioned it. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to put you in a great position, man. Oh, I, you have been. I appreciate you. Well, Thank you me. know, I appreciate you, man. I know you're a busy guy. I know you're getting ready for the season. We're going to be rooting for you. Uh, hopefully, uh, at one part, one point of uh, this season, we can get you on and we'll, we'll see how you're doing, how the team is doing, and and kind of give you or you give us your uh, your thoughts to where the season is going to end up for the Duke Blue Devils. Sounds like a plan to me. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Riley, keep eating your pizza. Keep getting healthy. Stay healthy this year. Stay healthy uh, so we can see you get drafted this year. And I believe, I, I've, I've predicted, I believe you're going to be a first or second round draft pick. A late first round, early second round draft pick. Please do me a favor. Put up those numbers so I could shut everybody up and say, you see, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Riley Leonard, ladies and gentlemen, he's fantastic, as always, giving us the time. He's a busy man, and uh, he didn't want to show off those uh, Nike wristbands. Uh, no NIL. He's not trying to promote Nike. So, uh, I, I, And maybe he is. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's, uh, he's in, being endorsed by them. I don't know. But, hey, you know, maybe f- in the future, Riley will have his own Nike cleats uh, that you could buy. The uh, We'll call it... The Riley Sky Leonard cleats. How's that? Sounds great to me. And we'll make them blue. We'll make them light blue, like the sky, you know? No, but that'll be North Carolina colors. You can't do that. Oh, that's true. I, I, we don't, don't mention North Carolina. I am a Duke Blue Devil fan, and I hate UNC. Absolutely hate UNC. So, anyways, <laughs> Riley Leonard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Uh, He's fantastic. He really is. Uh, Carl says the Leonard Leapers. What do you think about that? I like that. The Leonard Leapers. You know what it is? That's cool, but I have to figure out a name that just makes sense. We'll watch him this year, and we'll try to get a nickname for him. It has to be with his play. It's got to be interesting with his play. Just a little bit more, because he's fast. He's fast with his feet. So maybe... uh, Ah, Speedy, give me a name. Something with a feet. You know, um... Launch? Like a launch? Quick draw, you know? Leonard, you know, the... The uh, Riley Leonard quick draw? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure it. I am, I'm not good right now. I'm, I'm just... Listen, I have had barely any sleep in the last five hours, okay? Oh, well, I've... I've, when, I've do you, when do you actually sleep is the real question. <laughs> I slept for five hours last night... And I fell asleep in my car. Okay. Oh boy. I went out. I went to hang out with my buddies. Um, he was, you know, he was dealing with other things 
I'm not going to talk about on air, uh, but he was very upset, and I sat with him. After we went out for a little bit, we, we, we sat, and we had a conversation, and then he went home, and I fell asleep in my car. Wow. So. Uh, Carl says Leonard Lightfoot. Ah, I don't know if he, he's going to like that. I, we we got to figure out. A, come on, Carl. Give me a better name. I'll think of one, and, and maybe at the end of the show, or maybe, uh, maybe off air, I'll think of it, and I'll post it up, and we'll see if he likes it. You know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Carl also has to mention another John Shire fan. <laughs> Wow, he is a John Shire fan. You heard him. He went out to he went he out went, to lunch. Yeah, he went out for John Shire. So he's got some first-hand experience with John Shire. So he has to like him. He's now. like you. You have to get to know him. I don't know why you judge him. So I, I, I never hated John Shire. I just don't think he's going to be a good coach. He took over Coach K. I mean, I would have taken anybody but John Shire. Because he's he doesn't have any experience. Oh, here's a good one, Carl Riley Rockets. That's pretty good. I like that one. There we go. That's a good one. The Riley Rockets. Interesting. Very good, Carl. Send that to Riley. See if he likes that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. We are waiting for John. He is late, as usual. (laughs) Yeah, for 1030, his time is usually about six minutes later. But I I will say this. I had five hours hours of sleep and probably an hour in my car, and I, I could not sleep. I ate this hamburger yesterday, okay? And... It was good, but for for some reason, whatever was on it, it gave me bad acid reflux, okay? And I could not sleep. When I woke up in my car and I actually went in, brushed my teeth, flossed, did all that other stuff, I kept waking up because it kept coming up on my throat, and I couldn't... I couldn't get rid of this taste. I kept going into the bathroom and mouthwashing, trying to get this taste out of my, like, throat. I was even... I even sipped a little bit of mouthwash, so it went down my throat, so it took away the taste. Wow. That's how bad it was. It was horrible, man. It's horrible feeling that way when you have acid reflux. So... I don't know if anybody's been through that or has that. It's horrible. It's not a great feeling, but... uh, Yeah. Uh, We are waiting for John, but uh, let's get into some baseball. USA Today's Bob Nightingale reports that there is no hint of the Padres making Juan Soto available to the trade talks this season. Soto is making $23 million of arbitration deal this year and is arbitrating eligible for next year. Soto has a .62 batting average, a .417 on-base percentage, and a .918 OPS with 20 home runs and 62 RBIs this season. Nightingale also mentioned that the Padres could deal starting pitcher Blake Snell and relief pitcher Josh Hader. Snell is is in his last year of his contract and is making $16.6 million this season. Snell has a 2.61 ERA, a 1.27 whip, 147 strikeouts in 114 innings pitched this season. Hader in his last year of his arbitration eligibility, making $14.1 million this season. Hader has a 0.95 ERA, a 0.947 whip, 58 strikeouts, 24 saves in 38 innings pitched this season. And if I were the Padres, I would move Hader because you can get a lot back for him. Uh, his numbers are as good as he, he was. I, I don't know if it was he's as good as he was with the Brewers. 
But the numbers will show you 24 saves, a 0.95 ERA, and a point. 947 whip is pretty yeah. good. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, again, he's had some points like seven or six ERA years with Milwaukee. So, yeah, he's not up to that peak year. I think 2018 when they went to the NLCS, that was the numbers. But .95 ERA, there's not many relievers that have that either by any means. And 24 saves, that insane strikeout rate, 58 and 38 innings. And, again, it's tricky because relief pitchers are a lot like these other positions. We talk about the value of them. Do you want to give that much money to a relief pitcher when the Padres already invested in a lot of hitters with that money, too, and you Darvish, Joe Musgrove on big contracts, too, or do they want to do that in Hater too, when the rest of their bullpen is still good, so they may, maybe they could spend their money somewhere else if they could get good value, but only trade him if they can get the value, because otherwise, he's going to be still good if the Padres have any shots. Honestly, the Padres have had a bad season. For everything and all the money that they have spent over the last two seasons, and making trades, and trading away their farm system, and and. They traded their farm system for Juan Soto. Right. They gave up a lot for Juan Soto. And that's why the Nationals had to make the trade at the trade deadline last year. If you remember, everything that we've heard the last two weeks before the trade deadline, people were saying there was no way the Nationals were trading Juan Soto. And then at the last minute, really the last day, Juan Soto gets traded for practically six or seven prospects. And then Josh Hader, before Juan Soto, was traded for the Brewers. And and. Everybody knew that the Brewers were trading Josh Hader, but nobody would have thought that Josh Hader was going to be traded to the Padres. And when you look at the numbers that Josh Hader had, I didn't even know his numbers were that good. If you look at his numbers right now, is he not the best relief pitcher in baseball right now? Yeah, and again, he's been pretty steadily in that. Besides, like you were saying, like when he first got to the Padres last year. No, he, he doesn't that, have those numbers. He had that bad month, but since then he's been up to that, up to part of that again consistently. He was good in the playoffs this year, especially against the Mets. He pitched, I think, multiple games with two-plus innings as well. And I think the only time he really struggled in the playoffs last year was that one game against the Phillies, I think game four, where the Phillies came back in the eighth inning. But that was really it. And since then, he's still put on that stellar season again. Again, it's just the dilemma of do you want to give all that money to a relief pitcher? The Mets took that chance with Edwin Diaz, and he's he hasn't played this year. I can't believe that the Padres are under five hundred. Yeah, with all that talent, how many three hundred million dollar players do you have on your team? Yeah, three hitters, and then you have another one in Bogarts that's not far behind. So it's one of those things where they haven't gotten a lot of those stars to play as well as they could either. And then some of their pitchers have had an injury issue. So it's just a bad combination of everything. And I know this is the the same thing that's going on with Shea Otani because. Right. Everybody is going back and forth. Do you think that the Angels are going to trade Shea Otani? Then uh, we all believe that he is going to be a Dodger next year anyways. Yep. And now we've heard that the Dodgers still could be interested in making a trade for Shea Otani. But now they're saying that they're not the lead team. And I believe no matter what, I think the Dodgers believe they're going to get Shea Otani anyways. Right. So why are they going to make a trade? Why are they going to trade away their farm system for Shea Otani when they believe in the offseason they're going to make a move for him and they're still going to get him? So I understand the speculations and people's thoughts that he could be a Dodger next year no matter what. But why, if you're an organization like the Dodgers, so right now you're the, you're, you're the number one team in the NL West. You, you've been really trailing all season long. You trailed the Diamondbacks. You, you trailed the Giants. And now finally you're in first place. You have a, tr- a tremendous team, uh, tremendous pitching staff that's getting healthy at the right time. And, and the lineup is stacked. Why do you need to make a move for Shea Otani? Now, especially when you have to give up a significant amount, and, and, and the Angels know that, and I, I, don't, I don't believe anything that the Angels say. I, I do not. 
Because for them to say that they're not interested in trading him, they want to hold on to him because they still think they're going to make the playoffs, the Angels are not making the playoffs. Okay? They're not. The Angels right now are 54 and 49. A couple of weeks ago, they were under 500. So Shea Otani's having a great year. Uh, he's, what, 38 home runs now, 39 home runs. He's, he's playing great baseball. He really is. But all in all, this team is not going to compete with the Astros. They're not going to compete with the Rangers. And, and with the, the American League East, as good as it is, when you have all these teams like the Orioles, the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and I, I believe. Even the Red Sox and the Yankees, they're still going to be fighting to get that final playoff spot. There's no way the Angels are making the playoffs. Even so, like the infrastructure that the Angels have right now is just not well built for today's baseball when you see these teams be very successful. Now, the Phillies made it to the World Series this year with spending a lot of money like the Angels have been doing. That's, I guess, the one exception to the rule so far. But you look at the 2020 World Series, was the Rays and the Dodgers, two very well-built teams with prospects and good trades and stuff like that. Then the Astros and the Braves, probably the two best well-oiled machines in baseball, make it to the World Series the year, before, the year after. And then the Astros make it again. Like, that's the model that these teams have to build on. And we've seen teams rebuild faster than usual because of that, too. If you look at the Orioles and the Diamondbacks this year, you look at the Padres three years ago when they broke out. The Cubs, when they broke out in the middle of last decade, and they went to, they went to the World Series and won it in three years. Like, why not take that kind of approach? Why not take that kind of model when you can get probably six good prospects for Shohei Otani? Mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated Tom Verducci reports that the Angels have taken Shea Otani off the trade market and will be buyers at the trade deadline. I do not believe that. The Angels are now 53 and 49 overall, are 8 and 3 since the All Star break, and are 3.5 games back from the Blue Jays for the last wild card spot. The Angels recently showed they were buyers when they traded for White Sox starting pitcher Lucas Giolito and relief pitcher Reynaldo Lopez. Yesterday, the Angels still have some key hitters injured, including Brandon Drury, Anthony Rendon, and Mike Trout. Trout and Rendon are not expected to return until mid-August. Otani threw a complete game shutout early today, the first of his career, and is fourth in the MLB in strikeouts with 156. With hitting stats, Otani leads the Major League uh, in walks. Home runs, triples, slugging percentage, OPS, and total bases this season. So, listen, Otani's the MVP. I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that right now. I'm not going to argue that. So I don't know why everybody keeps attacking me, including Jeff, saying, oh, what do you think is day today? I never said Shea Otani. Did you ever hear from my voice that I said that Shea Otani was a bad player? No. I've never said that. All I said, and I know Jeff's on the other line. Yes, all right. <laughs> all I said, if you were to choose a healthy Aaron Judge who plays every day at right field, a five-tool player is going to play 156 games at his position and, you know, obviously hitting, and he's still going to put up those power numbers and everything that he did last year. I am going to take the everyday player over Shea Otani. And I know what he's going to say. Shea Otani's an everyday player. He's a DH. He hits every day. He doesn't pitch. He pitches every fifth day. So that's just my opinion. I'm taking the guy that's playing every day. And if you ask any owner, if Aaron Judge is a healthy, healthy, they're going to take the everyday player. Why? Because he's a five-tool player. Now, go ahead. Put him through. Let's hear him. Jeff from Tampa finally 
back and ready to attack. Not ready to attack. It's just nice to see you're finally acknowledging Otani's greatness, even though you're still trying to say Judge is better. I didn't say, I didn't say that. That's I didn't the, say that. That's not the argument. We're not getting into that. I actually had a question for Speedy. Hmm. I think it's a topic that, uh, that, that Speedy can speak on as a Mets fan, and I wanted to ask you about the Yankees fan behavior during the Subway Series, Speedy. <laughs> what did you think about it? I, I, it was definitely... Uh, d- very weird what that guy was doing, putting all the water and the barbecue sauce or whatever else was it on and the guy's head. Just being an absolute heathen. No, it, it was definitely it was definitely weird. Now, here's the thing. My my friend, uh one of my grade school friends growing up was actually he's a Yankee fan. He was actually at the Yankees Phillies World Series, one of their games that was in Philadelphia, and he had soda dumped on his head too. So it's not just New York fans, it's Philly fans that do it as well. So Right, but it, right, but but my contention has always been this speedy. It happens everywhere. It just happens regularly with Yankee fans. You know, they're doing this to a Mets fan, a kid just sitting there, minding his own business, just watching the game. And these kid, these Yankee fans, they all <laughs> gang up on this kid, and they're celebrating the fact they're dumping beers on him, they're putting barbecue sauce in his hair, right? And it's not just that. And it's not even just that. You know, the, these heathens, they're throwing beers at you know, Indians players, they're throwing things on the field, they're throwing balls at Alex Rodrigo. It happens everywhere. It just happens regularly in the Bronx. I understand. I understand you don't like Yankee fans, and I honestly, I'm not a big fan of Yankee fans either. I was at I was at a couple of Yankee games this year. I I was over there with the Bleacher Creatures. I sometimes wonder on some of these guys and what they have. You know what they do in their spare time. Some of them are just out of their damn minds. But again, that's not every Yankee fan, Jeff. That's not every Yankee well, fan. Well, well, it, well, you want to know what? It was really just two or three that put were dumping beers on them, put the sauce on. But it didn't seem like all the other Yankee fans were celebrating it. Listen, if I was Speedy, at, the, you saw the video, Speedy, you did, saw the video. Yeah. Yep. Were the were the other Yankee fans celebrating it? Oh, of course, they're gonna gang up. That's the way sections are. I was just at a baseball game, and they, I know that. Right. I right. wouldn't they have done that. I would have helped the kid. Behavior. If I was there, they, I would have helped the kid, and I'm a Yankee fan. Right, and and no, and no one came to this kid's defense. No one did. They speed. No one. Instead, what were they doing? They were taking pictures at him, laughing at him, making TikToks. I think Yankee fans are TikToks. How's that? I'm not a TikTok fan, so there you go. So I, I don't know if I would well, be watching it on TikTok. Platform, but, but these mouth breathers, just abhorrent behavior to all gang up on one kid trying to enjoy a baseball game and do things like that to him. Just abhorrent behavior. And it seems to be a regular occurrence in the Bronx. Wouldn't you agree, Speedy? <laughs> I have not been there to know that, but still, I think it is something that was no, definitely well, weird. You didn't, need to, you, you didn't need to be there to see Alex Verdugo get hit with a baseball from the second deck. You don't need to be there to see Yankee fans throwing beer bottles at Cleveland in the uh, Cleveland Guardian outfielders. Oh, yes, the right? revenge of Stephen Kwan. Right. You don't need to be there to see that. It's a regular occurrence there. Every year there's two or three major incidents that, that happen. You can't say that about anyone. All right. So because of a couple of Yankee fans that just are out of control, they do stupid things. A couple things. of them. Yeah, it's not all Yankee. It, it was, I'm a was, Yankee was, fan. Was, I don't do that. It was the entire right field throwing beer bottles at the Guardians but players. But, Jeff, that, that's not every Yankee fan. That's not every Yankee fan. What, what was that, like 10 sections of all throwing things on the field at these guys? I told you when I was at the Padres-Yankee game this year, and we were in the bleachers, there were a bunch of Yankee fans screaming at Padres Juan Soto, okay? 
Everybody. And I was screaming at the other guy that was screaming at him. I said, you know, he could be a future Yankee. And you're screaming all these derogatory things to him. So, li- listen, there, there are stupid people out there. They have no lives. And they have better things to do. But you know what they're going to do? At a Yankee game, they're going to take shots at a guy that makes millions and millions of dollars and they'll never amount to. So, who cares what they say? I, I mean, CeCe Sabathia took shots at this, this Boston Red Sox being, fans for years. Uh, by the way, by by the way, way this isn't about words being spoken. None of this is about words being spoken. This is literally about assault. I under, That's what this is. And, and did, did, he get, did he get thrown out of the stadium? Nope. Okay, so that's obviously don't declare that as assault. Right, because you know, of fellow people from the Bronx just support that kind of behavior. I don't that's believe. I don't gonna, believe that. I, I really don't. Speedy, where was everyone else ganging up on him? You saw the video, Speedy. I did. Yes, in that instance, they were. were. They, you, know, were they so, up on him? you know what's so funny? And, and, and I'm going to say this because there's a lot of crazy things that happen in many, many baseball and football games so many times. And, and, but for some reason, for some reason at Yankee games, if something happens, somebody's recording it and posting it on, on social media and attacking the Yankee fans. Because let me tell you something. I have seen at L.A. Dodger games quite a few times this year. Uh, that, you know, it's on TikTok and stuff like fights break out. People are people are beating the hell out of somebody. Somebody got punched in the back of the head. I've seen it. I've seen it on Snapchat. I've seen it all over the place. So for everybody, and that's just L.A. Uh, at an Astros game this year, I saw somebody push a woman down the stairs. And it was on social media. But for some again, reason, again, but for again, some reason, when it happens at a Yankee game, I'm sorry, Jeff, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when it happens at a Yankee game, it, no matter what happens, it gets posted and blown out of proportion. But my, my statement still stands, the part that you seem to ignore. And I'm not picking on you. I don't know why you get No, I'm not. I, 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 I I'm not. I just, I'm, I don't. If I was there, I would have helped them. Like, no I would have. picking on you and saying, what, right, no one's picking on you. No one's saying you would have or wouldn't have or whatever. I'm sure you would have helped the kid. That's fine. But for some reason, you know, it, it, my statement still stands that you seem to ignore. It happens everywhere. It just seems to happen regularly in the Bronx. Uh, first of all, Snug, you said you didn't have TikTok. Our network has TikTok, so I go on our ne- network's TikTok. But I don't really look on TikTok. I'm on I'm Snapchat. I, I go on Snapchat. So people post things on Snapchat that I follow. They have all different stories. So I've seen it. I follow different sports teams. I follow all different uh, basketball teams and football teams and baseball teams. And it posts up. They post it up. And fans do post it up. In Houston last week, I don't remember what day it was, and it was, I think it was, it was the Houston Astros. Somebody, some woman got pushed down the stairs. She got pushed. But nobody blew that out of proportion on Twitter. It was on Snapchat. It wasn't, I didn't see it posted on Twitter. As a matter of fact, when I went to the Houston, not even, who, who, who did they play last week? Texas. Uh, Texas. Even on the Texas, it was somebody, it was a Texas fan, and somebody pushed this lady down the stairs. Pushed her, an Astro fan, pushed her down the stairs. That's assault. Yeah. That's assault. Okay? Yeah, that's abhorrent, that's abhorrent behavior. But, but what you're doing, and we all recognize what you're doing. I'm not. You're trying to bring no, up, I'm not. You're trying to bring up other events. No, other I'm not. Because you, you are because it's a regular occurrence in the Bronx. It's a regular occurrence there. These people are just the worst human beings on the planet with their pit stains on their T-shirts and their mouth breathing. They're just the worst people on the planet. 
I think it's universally recognized that these people are, are <laughs> they should just all walk into the ocean and just keep walking, see if they can reach Europe. Snug, I can guarantee you my dog was not in Houston. <laughs> well, you're probably right. He, he wasn't. What's your dog's name again? Jackson? Jake. Or Jake, that's right. Jake. So, Jeff, we got to go. Uh, call back in a little while, okay, man? Just a boring behavior, Speedy. You should get on these Yankee fans, you know. They really are the worst people on the planet. They're assaulting your brothers out there. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm not accounting for random Yankee fans. I'd rather not uh, get involved with that. All right, let's go to a quick break. And when we come back, we have Let's Parlay. We do have Johnny Boy joining us. He's back and he's ready to attack. And we'll check out his numbers from last week when we come back here on the Sports Live Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including... The Sports Loudmouths every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. in the summer as we transition into the wintertime when football season starts, baseball playoffs start, basketball, hockey, uh, I mean, and then college football. A lot to get into, uh, you know, when as the seasons uh, start to start uh, with the NFL and college football. College football is a couple weeks away. I'm, I'm, yep, about a month. Yeah, so I, as I uh, we had Riley uh, Leonard on, and he was fantastic. And now... Uh, before we get our second guest, we have Mr. Reno Man, Johnny Boy, but, uh, uh, you know, we don't have anybody else. We don't have Derek. We don't have Wes. We don't have Chaz. We don't have Paolo, but we do have Johnny. As we call this segment, Let's Parlay. Parlay, olay, olay, olay. It's time for Let's Parlay. You know, it's so funny. We have Johnny on the video, and he's sitting on his couch. He's got his dog on one side. He just left for a second. He has a, a picture of his dog right behind his couch. <laughs> and it's a nice painting, too. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually. We have to get the origin story of this painting when John, when John comes back in the room. That's got to be his wife that painted that. It's it's definitely his wife. It's a very it's a very good portrait, whoever paints it. It's, it's not John. I, I know John didn't do that. I, I don't think he's that artistic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, now we need to know the origin story of the painting. <laughs> oh, uh, it's, I, I have a friend that did it. It's my dog. I know it's your dog. We just saw her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got two of them. Look at you. Where'd you go tonight? You're all dressed nice. <clears throat> no, this is a nice shirt, man. I just got back from playing basketball, so. Oh, I, uh, I figured, I figured. Yeah, How tall are you anyways? Huh? How tall are you? Uh, six one. Six one. Oh, so you're not that tall. I mean, you're not you're bad. tall. You're 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 you know. Yeah, it's not bad. Taller than much of the population. Yes. But I'm not like, I'm not like super tall. Well, the average man is five foot eight. That's what they say. So you're about what four or five inches uh, taller than the average man. So that's good. That's yeah. a good size. Oh, there we go. Uh, so John, you have your picks. Are we going to go into it? I only have one this week, and it's the boxing match: Spence versus. Uh, you know, you know this what I mean. Is, this is the Terrence one Crawford, record, right? Mm-hmm. We're keeping records here. 
Yeah, we're keeping records. You're one and two with the baseball. I have to find your golf one from last time. It was uh, Shoffley and Scheffler. I was trying to what find What was this. I last week? I... It was one and three. I don't think you made lost. picks last time because we had a lot of people. Yes. So I went one and three last week. Okay. Because uh, Scheffler got – or Shoffley got 18. So I cashed that one, but I had a parlay because it was after day one. Oh. So I parlayed it, and Scheffler fell out. He made a run at the end, but he got like 30th or something. Oh boy! So one and three last week. Yeah, you, know, you and Derek back to back with the uh, not top thirty, top forty. Uh, you know picks. what's so funny about Derek? What was he one and three last week? Oh, I didn't look at Derek's from last week. You know, it, it, Derek is really, really funny because he'll make these crazy picks, and they're either a hit or a really bad miss. Okay. <laughs> now, now, uh, re- uh, Johnny's on board with the uh, Cardinals uh, central pick that he said last week. Uh, Derek had that at the start of the year, so yeah. we'll see if that changes. You know, it, it was looking good, and then some some um, some BS happened tonight with uh, Mikolas getting ejected. So they're going to take. They took the L. They needed twenty five. They needed uh, uh, eight innings, twenty five outs of bullpen work tonight. So oh boy. That's that's you know I, I think it's slipping away from how good I thought they were gonna or make a run at it. Um, so we'll see from here on out. I got I got a good play for tomorrow for sure. I, it's four, right or no? Uh, yeah, four. I mean, if you don't have four, then you can just tell me what we have. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll get three. All right, yeah. All right you can give us three. Three's, three's fine. Um, yeah, I'll start. I got my first one. Um, give me the Angels tomorrow. Give me the Angels. I want all the smoke with the Angels. Plus one sixty. <laughs> they have bought in. They're they're ready to go. They t- they they sat down. There's a conversation, a three way conversation from ownership to translator to Shohei Otani. <laughs> we are moving forward. You aren't going anywhere this year. We know that he's probably going to leave. But I think the Angels realized. I don't think the haul for Shohei Otani was going to be as large as they anticipated, primarily because teams that did say they were interested, the Diamondbacks, the Orioles, even the Dodgers, they wouldn't give up. They couldn't give up those pieces of the future as much as the, as much as the Angels wanted it because you basically have a player for rental. So they were like, we're not going to get crap. We're moving forward. They went and brought Lucas Giolito, who hasn't necessarily had the best year in Chicago. He gets the first start tomorrow for his new team. I've said it before. Change of scenery does funny things to pitchers. Shohei Otani, they got pulled early. People started giving some rumors. He's fine. Cramped up a little bit. He played. I mean, shit, he pitched nine innings. Hit two home runs in the doubleheader. I mean, he's a monster. He'll be back tomorrow. Um, I like this Angels team. If you're going to give me plus 160, like, that's stupid for me not to take it. So give me the Angels tomorrow against the Blue Jays. I know they're in they're in Toronto. I know Gossman's going. Um, I just I just think that we got so much value here on a team that is bought in. It's something the Angels haven't done in a long time. Like bought in. Like okay, fine. We're gonna bring players here to help you. Let's see if it works out. Angels tomorrow. Let's go on the money line. All right, give us give us your three, and I have one. I have one for this week. Okay. Uh, yeah, so my other one, I'm going to go to my notes here. <laughs> uh, we're back to the well. Give me give me the Cardinals tomorrow. Uh, it's probably going to be about 130-ish. <laughs> it's Jordan Montgomery. 
on the hill. Chicago's undecided with their start, looking at a bullpen game. It's a bullpen I don't like. We need Jordan Montgomery tomorrow. Here's the problem. We need him to go six, seven. The bullpen was totally utilized tonight in this Mika Lotz ejection. This is a team that's still very much in the thick of it. I really still believe they can make some moves. They got a lot of division, uh, division games left, so they must win. I like Jordan Montgomery, Chicago Bats. I think 10 or 15 points lower against the lefties. I like this matchup. It's a home off of probably a pretty emotional loss. If you're, if you're the Cardinals losing your starter uh, early in this game, with, it was a hit batter with Contreras got hit. He had to leave the game. He may not even be available tomorrow. And then meet the loss. Of course, hits happen. He had to leave along with the, the, the manager. I think there's just so much going on here in St. Louis. They're going to be extra motivated tomorrow. I'll bad Jordan Montgomery. Really good 3-3-7 ERA. So I'll take that one. And then my final pick of the day. I'm taking some risk. You know, it's, I'm I'm taking some risk. Um, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. I, you know, I think I have, I'm still ahead on the season. Uh, yes, you are. Record-wise. Um, and this is a... This, where it gets tricky. So tonight, and I'm still waiting, I did have a plus 188 play on the Nationals. 1-1, bottom eight, one on, or three, base loaded, one out. The rain delay. I'm hoping for the delay. I'm hoping for this game to go tomorrow. <laughs> um, give me the Nationals tomorrow. I think when you look in the grand scheme of things, when you look at that Juan Soto trade, the Nationals won that trade. They, they picked up C.J. Abrams, which I think is going to be a star in the future. They picked up Mackenzie Gore, going to be a star in the future. They got Josiah Gray still. Like, they've got pieces. They're young pieces. Tomorrow we'll have Mackenzie Gore on the hill. They will be facing Max Scherzer, who definitely not what we expected. He's a 4-2 ERA. It's not the Max Scherzer that we know. I think a lot of the older pitchers have struggled with the pitch clock. Remember, they've been in the league for 20 years. They've never had a pitch clock, ever. This is a totally new... Uh, a, a thing for them. A lot of the younger guys, you know, people that don't know, they actually use the pitch clock for two years in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. That's been a thing. So yep. when they when they've transitioned to when MLB did it, they've already been doing it. These old heads, they just haven't. This is the first time getting accustomed to it. So I think a lot of that has played into why it struggled. I'm getting plus 170. I think this Nationals team grossly underrated. They lose a lot of games. Their their bullpen is terrible. Probably are going to lose tonight. But they do have good starting pitching, and their hitting's pretty decent. They don't strike out. They put the ball in play. Things can happen. I'll take a plus 170. I got like a plus 170, plus 170. Uh, and then the Cardinals, minus one. That's not bad. Just get, if we hit one of those, I'm, 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 I'm up. John, you mentioned Josiah Gray. I don't know if I ever told you this. Um, yeah, I actually, my college station broadcasted him when he was in a summer league in, uh, in 2016, and he was actually a relief pitcher on that team, and now he's actually oh, a very wow. good starter. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, I've actually been, so I've been, I, I follow minor leagues, and a lot of the reason why, I'll be honest, is I'm an Orioles fan, and the team's been so bad, but the minor leagues have been good. So, like, they've always like, had guys that we just, like, build to, like, trade away. So, I've always, I, I keep up with a lot of minor league stuff, and Josiah Gray has been high on my list. I think for him, he just has to be more consistent, because he'll have, like, like today, stellar outing, didn't allow a run, but he'll have, like, four or five run run outings and then the next two will be shut down he'll come back allow four in the first so like he's just gotta get more consistent but I think he's I think the Nationals out bad as they are I think they have a lot of young pieces that they could either move for some some more prospects or build for the future I think they're gonna be okay in a couple years alright my one pick this weekend is the fight 
I believe, of the year. I was, I've been looking forward to this fight for the last, really, three years. And, and it's been on and off. And Crawford and, obviously, Spence have been talking about it for for a few years. And, and Spence coming back from that terrible car accident didn't break anything, which is unbelievable. And uh, getting back into the ring and just been dominant. Really, if you look at everything that Spence has done, and really all the fighters that he has fought, he's fought the better fighters in Crawford. Crawford obviously has fought more fights as a professional. I think he has 39 fights to Spence, who has had like 24 fights. But obviously, Spence is, to me, the undisputed welterweight champion of the world. He has four belts, and he has a chance to win another one if he beats um, obviously, uh, Terrence Crawford, who I think is a great fighter from Oklahoma. Uh, well, is it Oklahoma? I think he's from Oklahoma. I'm not. I'm not positive, but I think he's from Oklahoma. But uh, to me, this fight is going to depend on power. With obviously, which uh, a guy like Terrence Crawford and what Crawford likes to do is he, he uses his speed. He's a ambidextrous type of fighter. He fights right-handed. He fights left-handed. But his strength, his his ability is to fight left-handed. His power comes from his left side. Now he's fighting another southpaw, a guy that's powerful who can move. He can get inside. He hits really, really hard, and he's the bigger guy. And Terrence Crawford, over the last couple of weeks, has said that he's going to knock out Errol Spence Jr. Errol Spence has never been knocked down, okay? So, and either is Terrence Crawford. So, you look at Errol Spence and going into this fight, he's been very, very confident. He has said all the right things. And he already said that Terrence Crawford, he doesn't believe, will last seven rounds. Now, I, I think it'll be a close fight early. And Terrence Crawford, he cannot start slow in this fight. And in the last, really in his last 10 fights, he has started slow. His first five rounds, he he really hasn't been the dominant fighter. It's the later rounds, the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth rounds is where he dominates. He cannot do that against Errol Spence. If he falls behind in this fight in the first three or four rounds, he is going to lose. If it goes to decision, no matter if it's close or not, Errol Spence will win. Because that's what they do with the champion. So, Terrence Crawford has to knock out Errol Spence. Terrence Crawford has to start off strong. Errol Spence has been known to be a very fast starter. So, I expect Errol Spence to come out. He, I, I expect both guys to really force the issue. But I, I just think Errol Spence is too powerful. I, I really do. I, I think he's way too far, powerful for a guy like Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford has not fought a powerful fighter like Errol Spence in his whole career. And, and as good as ter, ter, um, a guy like Crawford and, and, and what he's done in the last couple of fights, knocking out his opponents, especially uh, when you talk about Sean Porter, I, he knocked out Sean Porter. Errol Spence did not knock out Sean Porter. You can't compare one fight to the other. Okay, so, um, but right now, the underdog is Errol Spence. He's a, he's a plus 120 in a fight to Terrence Crawford's minus 150. Bet the boat that Errol Spence wins this fight. I, I don't care what you bet. You want to bet 1,000, you want to bet 2,000, you're going to make a lot of money. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Errol Spence will win this fight. If it goes to decision, Spence will win. The only way... Terrence Crawford is going to win this fight is if he comes out strong and he knocks Errol Spence down at least once. I don't expect that to happen. I think it'll be a close fight all the way through, but I expect Errol Spence to go up 3-0 or 3-1 or 4-0 in the first four rounds, and then you're going to have Terrence Crawford playing catch-up. Bet the boat, ladies and gentlemen. Errol Spence wins the fight. It could go. It can go all 12 rounds. 
I expect Errol Spence to knock out Terrence Crawford at one point in this round in this fight. Um, but I have Errol Spence 100% winning this fight. So there you go. By the way, John, uh, we're watching the Mets Nationals game. It looks like it's going to resume at 11:20. So we'll see how that ends up working. That's out. the boat. If you're a better, if anybody's a better, I know boxing. I'm telling you right now. I went to my friend who's a huge huge boxing fan. And I said, who do you have in the fight? He says, there's no way Terrence, uh, Terrence Crawford is going to be able to compete with the power of Errol Spence Jr. He, he's, he's the better fighter. He's fought. If you look at his last five fights and you look at Terrence Crawford's last five fights, they're not even close. They're not even close. So every good fighter, Garcia, he, he beat the hell out of Garcia. Every fighter that Errol Spence has fought, he's dominated every single fight. And I, I just... I can't see Terrence Crawford, no matter how good. And I've listen. A lot of the experts believe Terrence Crawford's going to win. Mike Tyson said it. Everybody said it. A lot of a lot of these ex fighters have said that Terrence Crawford's going to win this fight. I'm telling you right now, if you bet on Terrence Crawford, boy oh boy, you're going to be a big loser because right now that he is the underdog, that Errol Spence, the champion, is the underdog. Bet. The boat on it. I'm telling you right now, you'll make a lot of money. You put five thousand dollars on it. I think you make like seven, eight thousand. I, I think you make three or four thousand dollars on that. I, bet the boat. If you have the money, bet the boat on it. Errol Spence will win the fight no matter what. So there you go, Johnny. Who do you got on uh, on Saturday? I, I don't bet boxing. I only um, so I don't bet boxing. What I do is tell people. I just kind of it's only really like I'm actually logging onto my account right now to put a bet the boat. I'm telling you right now, everybody out there, listen to me. I'm telling you right now. I went to two of my friends. They're huge boxing enthusiasts. They love. They've watched. He he he's followed Errol Spence Jr. his whole career. His whole career. He used to train with Floyd Mayweather. Okay, trained with Floyd Mayweather. And, he, and Floyd Mayweather said this guy is the future of boxing before before this fight even came around. And I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, it, he is going to beat the living you-know-what out of Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford has never fought a guy this big, this strong. And, and, and by the way, win or lose, Spence is moving up. And I, Terrence Crawford has a chance to win these belts anyways, but uh, he's... Errol Spence wants to move up to 150, 154. I, 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 even if he wins the fight, which he will win the fight, he is probably going to cancel out these belts and move forward uh, to the higher divisions. He wants to fight the best fighters. And uh, he wants to fight Canelo. He wants to fight these guys. And I, I, expect, I expect him to get those big fights. He, he was not afraid of Terrence Crawford, just so everybody knows. Terrence Crawford wanted Errol Spence. The negotiations is he's the big ticket. He's the he's the big name on the ticket, and he wanted the most money. And Terrence Crawford wanted to come to a simple number where he is making uh, not as much, but right there at the number that he wants. Because he's never made a lot of money. Terrence Crawford, you look at it, I think he's 39-0. He's never fought a big prize fight like this. This is his opportunity to make the box. So he wanted to make sure that he's making all the money in this fight. So uh, this is going to be a fun fight. It'll be a great fight. If Ter- I'm telling you right now. In the first three rounds, if 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 they everybody has the cards, Errol Spence up 3-0, the fight is over. The fight is over because Errol Spence he, is not going to let. What happened? He's the underdog. I know. I was looking up. He's plus one twenty five. I know. Bet it. Bet the boat. I just told you. Bet the boat. I'm telling you. 
Bet the boat. You're going to make a lot of money. I, I've you told sold everyone. Me, you sold me a plus 125. I'm going to bet. I'm going to bet some money. Bet the boat. You're going to make some money. I'm telling you right. I told everybody. Everybody asked me, who do you got? Who do you got? I, I'm a boxing guy, and I, I watch a lot of boxing matches. And I went to my guys. I asked them. I said, who do you got? Both of them said Errol Spence will win the fight. Both of them. He's the champion. Terrence Crawford is going to have to knock him out. He's going to have to knock him out because Errol Spence will keep the keep the fight close. He will get inside. He will go to your body. He his body shots are some of the hardest body shots, uh, you know, in all of boxing. And and the guy hits hard at his division in the 140, 145 division and stuff like that. He is as good and as strongest as strongest fighter in his division. So uh, I, I expect this fight to not even be close. So I I, I expect Errol Spence to win. At least seven rounds. Seven or eight rounds. So, that's it. Thank you, Johnny, for uh, calling Thank up and uh, getting on the show. In, so, we'll see what happens. We'll Dude, lock happens. it in. Lock it in, man. And tell your friends to lock it in. They'll make money. I- I'm, bet- I'm betting the boat, too. I'm betting $500 on Errol Spence this yeah, weekend. Yeah, I, I just put five. Yeah, Let's I'm, be- I'm betting the happens. boat. I'm betting the boat. Yeah, I don't know boxing. I just kind of tell people. Bet the boat. Tell tell your boys. Tell your boys to bet the boat. I'm telling you right now. I'm very confident about this fight. I know Terrence Crawford is going out there, and we're going to get into it when we get off the phone with you. I, I I'm I'm going to get into the fight. You can listen to it. I'm going to go into the understanding of why I think Errol Spence is going to win the fight, and and why the the fight is not even going to be close because Terrence Crawford is a slow starter. Go look at every single one of his fights. If he starts slow against Errol Spence, because of the power and his ability to go inside and go to the body, it's not going to be easy. And Terrence Crawford going out and saying that he's going to knock out Errol Spence. Errol Spence has never hit the canvas, even as an amateur. I don't think Errol Spence has ever lost an amateur fight. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. He's an, Olympic, he's an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. You know, well, so I'll be, I'll this be on him with you. So hopefully he can he uh, shows out on Saturday. Dude, you're going to make money. I'm telling you right now, you're going to make money. I don't know what 500 will do. What 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 does 500 get you? What is it? Where is it at? 500 is 625. Okay, so you're making 600. dollars mm-hmm. So there you go. So <laughs> I'm telling you guys, the more money you bet on this fight, the more money you'll make. I'm telling you, bet the boat on it. If you're a big better and you want to bet on a fight that that's, I don't know how Errol Spence is the underdog in this fight, and that's because all these these boxing you know champions are saying Terence Crawford, Terence Crawford. Who has Terence Crawford beat? You're going to say Sean Porter and Errol Spence went went all twelve rounds against Sean Porter. Sean Porter is when he fought Errol Spence. Errol Spence was playing with him. He was playing with him the whole fight. He wanted to make it a close fight. He wanted to make it a good fight. What do you think Errol Spence is going to do to Terrence Crawford? He's got a lot to prove in this fight. He knows he's the underdog. He is the champion. This is a guy that is the undisputed champion. And everybody's betting on Terrence Crawford. It's a joke. And and by the the way, Terrence Crawford had to move up to fight Errol Spence. Errol Spence is a natural 145-150 fighter. So I'm, I'm just letting everybody know that Terrence Crawford had to move up. You remember, he fights at, you know, seven, eight pounds less. So 
Bet Errol right. Spence. And I'm not saying it because it's my name. I, <laughs> I've been following Errol Spence. He's from Brentwood, Long Island. He, he moved to Texas, uh, obviously, in, in his teenage years. This guy's a Long Island native. And not because I know I know a lot of the people that trained against him and trained with him. This guy is the real deal. There's no doubt in my mind he's winning this fight. So, and I'll get into it. So uh, when when we get off, but thank you, uh, John, for getting you know coming on for Let's Parlay. I know everybody's so busy. <laughs> yeah, we're we're good, man. Hopefully my plays. I just go two and one. I'll be happy. John from Reno, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic, as always. Why don't we go to a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have Somerset Patriots reporter and dugout station Yankees podcaster host Julian Gilardi here on the Sports Lambouts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Petey. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Uh, for the summertime, of course. And, and we'll transition into the wintertime when all the kids go back or the kiddies go back to school, college, high school. Uh, we will move the shows to times where everybody can listen to the show, but we're very happy to have this next guest. We're now talking to Somerset Patriots reporter, Dugout Station Yankees podcast host, Julian Gilardi. Julian, what's hey, up, man? Guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, just coming home from the stadium now. Somerset had a walk-off in the 10th inning, so I couldn't hop the video. Game went a little bit late. That's but, all right, uh, man. We're doing good. We're hanging in. Um, Patriots are going to the playoffs against that school. Good um, <laughs> game tonight against the Orioles Subway affiliate. So, Julian, obviously, uh, you work and you work for the New York Yankees. You you, you write and. Uh, Somerset Patriots. Tell us a little bit about the season. I know you know a friend of ours, Nithin, who uh, you know he listens to the show. He's a big Yankee fan. Uh, what are your thoughts so far this season with the Somerset Patriots? Um, Patriots have been great. They followed up exactly what they did last year. They're going to put themselves in position to win it all again. As the first half champions, they'll be in the playoffs, so they got to win two series and they got a good shot. Uh, a lot of great talent going in and out, talent getting called up, talent coming from Hudson. Um, every time someone takes the ball, you feel good about it. Their starting rotation has been stellar. Uh, spoke to Richard Pitts today. He's been really good. And they obviously sent up Peter and Warren. And their bullpen's been really good. Edgar Barkley and Danny Watson are some new additions. So it's been a lot of good stuff from them. So in terms of the prospects that the Yankee fans should keep an eye on, either for potentially deals at this deadline and also guys that could be called up because the roster is very old, any ones this year that have stood out to you? Um, from Somerset, it's tough to say because those guys are a little further. Um, for the trades, I mean, you got to check it to Chase Sweeney's name, I feel like, just because um, he's kind of blocked for the shortstop the Yankees already have, and they haven't changed him off short still. I think it looks like they're going to hold on to Everson Pereira. That's a guy I think is close. I'd like to see up there. Maybe that's one for the radar. Um, I like Jabaro a lot. I'd like to see him get a chance. And um, Dominguez needs more time in double A, so that's not a thought this year. 
Um, and that's that's three right there. As everybody knows, we are talking to Somerset Patriots reporter and dugout station Yankees podcaster, the host, Julian Gilardi. You know, Julian, the Yankees have had a lot of problems this year. And they their lineup has had a lot of woes. They uh, A team that was supposed to have a lot of power and hit. They're not an average team when it comes to batting average, but they're a team that should be one of the better offensive teams in the AL. They have not been. What do you think has been the problem for the New York Yankees this year? I think it's the absence of Aaron Judge and the terrible seasons of Rizzo, TJ, and Stane all together. You look at those four factors, those are the big four. Um, the other guys, like Leifert Torres, is the only guy that's consistently holding his weight in a batting order that's not good enough. With catching off into some brutal, we know what happened with Javinho now going down for the year, playing with a torn wrist. Uh, the outfield's been an absolute joke with the defense in left field, an absolute disaster. And Harrison Bader has been okay, but how often has he been able to play? So we've heard that the Yankees are targeting two things, either a left-handed bat or an outfielder for the hitting perspective, and then another starting pitcher. Any targets that you think could be realistic for them? Um, yeah, I think you could also take a look at the bullpen. The bullpen's been a little bit worn down. Um, I think Bellinger's a name everyone's going to keep going at. It looks like it's Bellinger, Carlson, or Bridget. That seems to be the word. Uh, I think you want to shoot for Belly. The other two guys aren't nearly as exciting. You know, Carlson's younger with some more control, but he's limited offensively. That's what we've seen so far. Uh, pitching, I really like the Padres, Mel or Hayter. I don't know how realistic it is, but I think it's a move the Yankees should look at. Uh, Lucas Giolito just went for a huge price yesterday. The Angels pay a lot for him, so it might be tough to pull in a pitcher. I mean, the Yankees have some pitchers that can move, too. Uh, they could trade out of the rotation in theory, like some of the back-end guys, maybe even Severino. As everybody knows, we are, again, talking to Somerset Patriots reporter and dugout station Yankees podcaster Julian Gilardi. Uh, you know, Julian, the problem with the Yankees over the last two years is they had the best bullpen in baseball in the first half and one of the worst bullpens in the second half. This year, they had the best bullpen in baseball, and now they've been falling off. That bullpen has had some you know, in- interesting uh, you know, positions in the eighth inning and the ninth inning where they've gotten themselves into trouble and they can't get out of the inning. What do you think has been the problem for the Yankees in the bullpen in the second half of the season for the last two years? Um, I think it's been, like, poor management with the starting pitchers, like, not letting them pitch enough. Um, bullpen just getting too fatigued, being used too often, um, having to go too many innings of the game, like a starter not going five or six, and then all these guys have to play these close, high-leverage games because the offense isn't getting it done enough, so all the games are closer than they should be. So I think that the guys just don't stay as crisp as they should. And then there's been a lot of injuries, too. So some guys have had to pitch innings they're not used to. So Sean Casey got hired as the new hitting coach for the Yankees a couple of weeks ago. What is your thoughts on that hire? And what have you seen from the Yankees offense the last couple of weeks? Uh, I don't think it's been great by any means. I mean, they beat up the Royals. So I'm not going to throw a party for that. Um, they've been a little bit better. There's been some signs of sand breaking out of it, which is good. Rizzo's still, I don't know. I mean, he had a good day against the Royals, but it hasn't been consistent still. 
or maybe Pokemon Touch better. I mean, I can't think it's too early to tell, really, but he's done okay early on. You know, it's so interesting when you look at the Yankees going into the season with Garrett Cole, uh, a guy that's up for a Cy Young this year, has had a pretty good pitching year. I, I mean, his last start wasn't so good, but he's been pretty phenomenal all season long, started in the All-Star game. And then getting back run, run, Rodon uh, before the second half uh, was huge. Uh, he His first two pitching starts were not good, and then the, his last pitching start the other day was against the Mets. He was fantastic. Do you think now that he's starting to get – you know, get things, you know, settled in as a starting pitcher. He missed spring training. Do you think Rodon will go on a winning streak and help the Yankees and maybe get the Yankees back in this race? Yeah, I think Rodon's going to be more than fine. Uh, I have to cover him down here. He's a good competitor, good work, good work. So yesterday was the start of what could be a really good stretch for him, I think. You know, you have to get a few under your belt to fully warm back up. He still hasn't even fully pitched 100 pitches yet, so we've still got a little bit more to see. Um, I think he just builds on it. I think his stuff is incredibly good. It just He just has to stay healthy and fully empty the tank, and let's see what we got. Um, I think the people are overreacting in the beginning. I wasn't too concerned about him. It's really the same issue that we've had all year with this offense, and that's going to be the key of where the team's going to end up. So in terms of the last time we've had you on the show, it was Aaron Judge's last year. He was playing on the arbitration. Then he got the nine-year deal this offseason. Now, obviously, you were mentioning that you liked the way he was playing before he got hurt, and he's going to come back probably soon. But the long-term deal, are you worried about Aaron Judge for that long of a contract, $40 million a year? No, not really. I think it was just bad luck. Um, you kind of have to understand when you sign a deal like this, the back's not going to be pretty anyway. Like, none of these deals age well in theory. So you're hoping for five to six really good years, and then you pull it off at the end. This year he was doing as good as he has been. He was even doing better in certain aspects in the 62 home runs, but it, he just ran into a super wall at Dodger Stadium. It wasn't protected properly. Um, he made a great play on the ball. It's just a terrible situation. Am I concerned about his concern this year? No, yes, I am, because he's not going to be 100%. And he's going to probably have to get surgery in the offseason. I think that he'll be okay next year because he's going to get the surgery regardless. But I just hope he doesn't do insurmountable damage the rest of this year. You know, it's so interesting, Julian, that everybody keeps blaming the reason and the Yankees' woes in their their lineup is because Aaron Judge's injury. I beg to differ. One player doesn't change a lineup. Okay, and in baseball, yes, it, it being that Aaron Judge is the best hitter on the Yankees, the best power hitter for the Yankees, he bats second. DJ LeMay is not hitting. Uh, Rizzo's not hitting. Nobody's hitting in that lineup. So having Aaron Judge there, and 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 you said that you think that it was a good, it was a decent contract because you think Aaron Judge is going to play. He's going to have five or six seasons as a top player in the league. He's thirty-two years old. He's 280 pounds. He's six foot eight. And the guy, even though the last couple of years, the last two years, he's been healthy, he's never been healthy. He's been in the league for seven years. He, the guy never stays healthy. And now you have another year where he was playing pretty good baseball. He was one of the better hitters in baseball. But he, he's had how many at bats? I mean, 160, 150 at bats? That's not enough. And, and to say that 
you give a guy nine years, three hundred and what was it, three hundred and sixty million dollars? I think it's just, yeah. I think it's a little crazy for a guy who, to me, can't stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you had to pay that price because um, everyone else is in the market going higher. Like the Padres really offered a higher deal. The Giants offered something very similar. Uh, might have even been a mirror deal. So, to me, it's like um, you kind of have to accept that. I think, I personally think that he's not an injury prone. I think this is some bad luck. I mean, the one, he got hit in the ribs one of the injuries I was talking about, too. I mean, the one he dove in the outfield in the ribs, I mean, okay, that one was a little bit tough. Um, I just think that he's going to pull together still. He's going to gut it out. He's going to do what he can. But I agree with your point about not having all the reliance on him. That's why I did mention the three hitters that failed before because I don't think it's all him. That's why the Yankees have been hitting poorly. They had a lot of bad offensive showings even with him. When you take him out, out, it just magnifies the issue because no one gets good protection anymore either. It's a big problem. The line construction is pretty poor. Uh, the left field hole is gaping and they didn't fix it. That was the biggest mistake they made. And hopefully you had to labor what you got as a rookie because he's only 21. So you knew that was going to be a little bumpy ride at times. And, and the catchers we knew couldn't hit too well either. So... Julian, nobody hits in that lineup. I mean, McKinney, you have McKinney starting in the outfield. Who the hell is McKinney, okay? I mean, the guy was on the Yankees. The Yankees let him go. He plays for the Mets. He stinks for the Mets. He goes back to the Yankees. He stinks, okay? There's nobody in the outfield you can depend on because they can't stay healthy. John Carlos Stanton, I don't know where the hell he is. He's got his bat up his ass. I mean, what's going on with this team? And I'm tired. Get rid of Donaldson. Pay him out and let him go. The guy stinks. Donaldson's going to be completely off the table. He's on a 60-day IL. You won't have to worry about him again. Oh, God, he so. stinks, man. He, I, I don't know what happened. I thought he was going to fit in this lineup. You put him between Aaron Judge and John Carlo. I mean, he's been put between them. He was pitched. They put him as the eighth, the seventh guy. The guy can't hit anymore. The guy stinks. He needs to retire. He made enough money. He won one MVP. Hopefully, you know, he, he did it legitimately. I don't know what the hell's going on with the guy. And he doesn't shut up. He doesn't, for, for some reason, he likes to attack the other people in the other dugout. Wanted to just keep his two cents to himself and actually throw the ball to first base and, and actually hit the first baseman in the glove. Donaldson's a lost cause. I want to worry about him anymore. He's, he's done at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, for the lineup from top to bottom, it's pretty future. We're going to be it's honest horrible. here, like you said. Um, it's just been a bad construction. My point that I was getting to is that the, the stuff we say with left field is true. I mean, McKinney has been trying, playing well at times. Now it's the first baseman they switched to an outfielder who's been hitting pretty well. And I actually did get to speak to him recently, so that was cool. But um, it's not normal outfield play we're seeing in left field. It's pedestrian. No one's been getting it done. Like Aaron Hicks, Eduardo Cabrera, you know, that was the one I'm like, okay, I thought that one could have worked. The other ones were really tough. Like, I mean, Greg Allen's a journeyman, too. And Frenchie Cordero has no business being out there, even though he runs into one once in a while. That was the goal that they had to fix in the offseason that they ignored. That was the one spot that had an opening that they could have fixed. We were stuck at third base because you had DJ and Donaldson, and the catcher was the plan you had. So 
that was really the only place to make your opening was left field. Billy McKinney, okay? And by the way, we are talking to Somerset Patriots reporter, dugout station, Yankees podcaster, host, Julian Gilardi. Julian, in the last 15 games, 29 at-bats, six runs, six hits, one home run, four RBIs, and he's batting 207. I'm sorry, that's not good. And and for anybody, yes, in the when he, when the Yankees brought him in, uh, you know, early in the first half of the season, he was hot. He was, he was I, I mean, his slugging percentage was over seven hundred. He was the top five in the league. Ever since the second half started, this guy has been horrible. He has been horrible. And everybody says, "Well, well, look at the seven games. The last seven games, he's got eleven at bats and five runs and one home run. He's batting two seventy three. He shouldn't be starting for the Yankees. That's ridiculous. And to me, everybody wants to blame." Brian Cashman. This isn't Brian Cashman's fault because, hey, you know what? The players that he's brought in are not producing. They usually do as far as the lineup. It's the pitchers. The pitchers are producing this year. It's the lineup that's not producing. So you can't blame Brian Cashman as much as every Yankee fan wants to say, it's Brian's fault. He's out of his league. Get rid of him. I think he's made some poor roster decisions, though. I really do. Um, I really think that, like, not answering the left field was not great. Donaldson was a questionable move because of the money on the contracts. I, I thought he was going to be a lot better, too, honestly. I, I really did think he was going to be better. It's always kind of weird. IKF has played a lot, too. He's oh, he stinks. But I, I don't think they made that trade. They just wanted to get rid of Gary Sanchez. He was having problems in the locker room. They they needed to just make a move. Sanchez, though. That's why I don't understand that deal. They could have just dumped Gary, but now that's pay him. Like, they could have just not censored him. That's why I don't understand why they went through all those theatrics. But that's another story, I guess. I don't know. Well, speaking of something interesting, Willie Calhoun is rehabbing with the Patriots. But I have no idea if he's actually going to make it back to the Yankees. Because I'm not sure if there's a spot for him anymore. I figure Judge takes Bowers or McKinney's spot, most likely. Or I guess Allen, too, in theory. Maybe Allen goes. But you need someone that can run a little bit in the bench. So that's interesting. Mm. I'm not sure if we'll see Calhoun again. But he was doing okay for a time. Another guy who they took a shot on, too. So I don't know. It's been like throwing names in the hat, just randomly stepping up in certain instances. So, in terms of Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone's job security, obviously Boone is this is the last year of his deal. Cashman just got a new deal. What do you think about those? I think that Boone has a little bit to worry about. Yeah, I do too. They all fired Lawson, so that was the first domino to fall. Lawson was a scapegoat for the fans. He threw fans a bone by firing Dylan Lawson. So, if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, then. Boone's going to have to answer a lot of questions. I don't know if they'd actually pull the trigger, but if they don't make the playoffs, this team would be very hot. And if they were to get off to a bad start next year, I could see them letting him go. Or maybe they even do if they don't make it and they finish in last. Brian Cashman's, he's, he's made for a while. Cal's uh, that family to Hal. He's not going anywhere. It would have to take like two bad years probably to get rid of him, I would think. Yeah, I think Aaron Boone, if Aaron Boone doesn't make the playoffs this year, I think the Yankees fire him. I think the Yankees extended him because uh, if he if they do fire him, he still gets paid and he could sit out for the season and still make his money. And I think the Yankees obviously like Aaron. Aaron, I still think, is a very good manager. I, I, I think if the Yankees ever let him go, I think there'll be at least seven or eight teams lining up 
for him. I think he's a good manager. I just don't know if he handled the he's handled the Yankees very well in the playoffs, especially in the ALCS. But if he did a couple of things differently, the Yankees could have maybe been a little bit closer against the Astros in the ALCS last year. I think that if he makes it, they'll probably keep him just because all the extra years in the deal. But if he doesn't make it, I think they're going to really look at it. Last year was a shit show. He's been getting embarrassed in the playoffs for years. It's a big problem. I agree with that 100%. It's just like the problem is that if you replace him, you're going to get a similar person in this position. That's the type of person the Yankees want to manage. Like that's the mold they're making. So I don't even know how much of this is his fault. I don't know if he's the right person to lead this team forward, but I just know that there's a lot of issues all the way up. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully they have a good trade deadline, but they got a long way to go. So realistically right now, do you think the Yankees are a playoff team? And if so, which team gets knocked out in that AL wild card? Yeah, you know what? I'll hold on to hope. Barely, but I'll say we edge the Blue Jays out. And then the Astros, the Rangers get a spot. And Tampa or Baltimore get a spot. Well, we edge out Blue Jays. Yeah, I didn't say Well, that. I'll yeah. just let you know, and I am a Yankee guy. I, I, and I did bet my friend that the Yankees will make the playoffs. It doesn't look good, okay? There are a ton of teams chasing. You have the Angels getting hot right now. I expect, even though Seattle has not had a very good season, which I predicted to happen, you did. I, I, I still think Seattle is, is still a talented team. They can go on a run where they can win 10 or 11 games, and they can, they can absolutely edge out uh, the Blue Jays. I, I don't. I don't trust that the Blue Jays are going to hold on. The Red Sox are playing pretty decent baseball since the second half. Uh, there are just so many teams that can catch up uh, to the Blue Jays. And I just I just think that the Yankees, they have so many woes in that lineup. Brian Cashman is going to have to make an absolute splash at the trade deadline in the next couple of weeks, add at least two bats in that lineup for the Yankees to even compete with the, the, the power in the AL. So... Um, I just I, I don't think the Yankees are making the playoffs. I'm going to be taking my friend to a steak dinner. So, well, I'll say this. I mean, they're looking at Cancelario. That would help at third base a little bit. Although I'd like to see Peraza play there more. Mm. Um, I think if you get Bellinger in another bat, you could probably facelift this thing with Aaron Judge coming back too. Look out for catcher too. They might grab a catcher because they lost Cervino. I don't know how great the market is. Lecs. It's not the best, but he's had some decent moments this year. So I don't know how that's going to look. But I still want to say they'll at least grab the last wild card spot because there's too much talent in the room not to at least figure it out. And I think they'll make enough moves to at least get that done. I mean, they're only, what, two and a half out right now? I don't know what's wrong to play tonight. It's not like insurmountable. Quickly. I know it's a bottleneck and it's tough and there's mm -hmm. a lot of teams. But Quickly, before I let you go. Uh, do you think Austin Wells is the future catcher for the New York Yankees? Oh, wow. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know if I should curse on this, but it's a good question, honestly. I'll, I'll have some hope and say yes. Um, I think his defense is a big question, obviously. His offense is really good. Uh, I think he's getting a lot better receiving the ball and calling the game and all that stuff. And the pitchers like throwing to him. The pass balls are cut down. Uh, he's got to get that arm a little bit better. They are running on him a lot, so that is something to say. He's in AAA now. He might get a look because Trevino's out. Uh, I think he can get a shot next year. Mm. Interesting. 
Well, Julian, thank you. I know you're busy. Uh, I know you were at the game tonight, and uh, you're driving, and I don't want you to kill yourself. So, But thank you for joining us. I know you're a busy guy, and keep up with the good work. Yeah, I would say everyone check out my friend Sandy Millennium stuff, too. She helps him with Dugout Station, and we do the podcast together. And I just want to shout her out, and um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. And we're going to be doing a lot more at Dugout Station. Let's run it back in a few weeks, and maybe things get better. We'll hope. Let's just hope. <laughs> That's all we can do with the Yankees right now. It's just been terrible baseball. And, I, I, I mean, I like what Rodon did the other day, but uh, I, I want to see a lot more of that. I want to see Garrett Cole. I want to see – and, by the way, Savarino needs to wake up because uh, he's fighting for a, a new contract. And I know the Yankees aren't going to re-sign him, but there are other teams that might be inter- interested in a guy in a power pitcher like Luis Savarino, and he just hasn't looked good this year. So, um, Yeah, I really wonder – the last thing I'll leave you with is because uh, my phone's also going to low and I'm about home. I really do wonder if they're going to make a move with Domingo or Clark for a trade just because there's going to be too many guys in that rotation. Mm. And that's just coming back soon. I think he's pitching tomorrow in Somerset, by the way. So they're going to have to make a move. I don't know if Seve's really a trade piece right now. I think the Yankees will try to ride out with him probably. Well, I don't think they're going to trade him, but I, I think they don't re-sign him in the offseason. I think he goes. Yeah. To, I think he goes yeah. to the Mets. That's why I think he's at it. Oh, God. So. Oh, God. Mets? <laughs> Hope not. That's why I think he's going. So. I could see him going in the Rangers, but I was thinking Rangers, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think he'll be back either, most likely. But the Yankees like him, and he likes the Yankees. So if he thinks if he figures it out, maybe it could happen. Julian, keep up the good work. Thanks for having me, guys. Be good. Julian Gilardi. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's good. We really appreciate him joining us. I know he's a busy guy. We're all busy. So Yeah. Driving back from that uh, Somerset. Uh, analyzing the Yankees prospects that might not be Yankees prospects in five days. That's true. Before we get into, obviously, Bracket Wars, I do want to go over the big-time boxing match that is coming up this coming weekend. And I am very excited. I've been waiting for this fight for a very long time. Time. I'm a boxing enthusiast. I followed Errol Spence's career for the last, uh, really for the last five, six, seven years. I mean, uh, he follows me on Facebook. I follow him on Facebook. I've actually talked to him on social media before. I'm a huge fan of Errol Spence Jr., but that's not why I think he's going to win. He's going to be the undisputed champion against a very good fighter in Terrence Crawford. Okay. Terrence Crawford, uh, again, is an ambidextrous fighter. He is a fantastic talent. And when you look at Terrence Crawford, and I, I, I wanted to get into this, and I, I told, uh, obviously, John to listen to this, because this is why you would bet on this fight. And, and this is something that you should bet on if you're, a, if you're a better and you're a handicapper. If you look at... If you look at Terrence Crawford's last seven fights, okay... From Kell Brook, who is a shell of himself when he was the champion, okay? When Kell Brook fought Errol Spence, okay? And I, I, I want to say this because Kell Brook, when he fought Errol Spence, and this is in 2017. Kell Brook was 36-1. and one. He was the champion. Kell Brook... Owned one of the belts. And he was absolutely 
embarrassed, embarrassed by Errol Spence. And Kell Brook is a great fighter, English fighter, fantastic talent. He really is. And, and Errol Spence flew to England and fought him in England. 50,000 people watching him and booing him and screaming. And he put on a display, a boxing display, that absolutely abused Cal Brook. But not only in that, he fought Mikey Garcia, the undefeated Mikey Garcia. 39-0, and 0, Mikey Garcia. And he embarrassed Mikey Garcia. You're talking... Some people thought pound for pound, Mikey Garcia was a top five, top six fighter when he fought Errol Spence. Look at these scores. Glenn Feldman, 120-107. Alex Levine, 120-108. Nelson Vasquez, 120-108. Look at those numbers. Look at those numbers. Then when he fought Sean Porter, now he didn't knock out Sean Porter. It went the distance. But these numbers weren't even close either. And the fact, the fact that Larry Hazard gave Porter, obviously, a 112-115, you know, win. And it, it, was, it was Ray DeSecco had it 116-111. And Steve Weisfeld had it 116-111. And obviously, Larry Hazard had Sean Porter winning 112-115 which was ridiculous because the fight wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And everybody, everybody wants to compare the Sean Porter fight because they both fought Sean Porter. They both fought Kel, fought Kel Brook, too. Kel Brook is done. His career is over. He's re, I, I, I think Kel Brook actually just retired. All right? When Terrence Crawford fought for Kel Brook, he fought him three years later. Three years later. When Errol Spence fought Kell Brook, Kell Brook was at the top of his fighting game. He was one of the best fighters in the world. And he had to, Errol Spence had to, again, had to fly there. When Terrence Crawford fought Kell Brook, he fought him in Vegas at the MGM Grand. It's a huge difference when everybody's wanted, everybody wants to compare Kell Brook, the Kell Brook fight, and then the Sean Porter fight. Yes, he TKO'd Sean Porter. This was Sean Porter's practically last fight when he fought Terrence Crawford in 2021. He wanted to fight Terrence Crawford because he wanted to give Terrence Crawford his first big fight. And Sean Porter fought very well against Terrence Crawford in the first three or four rounds. The fight was a lot closer than you think. If you look at the numbers, here, here's the numbers before the stoppage. Max DeLuca had it 87-84. Dave Moretti had it 86-85. Steve Weisfeld had it 86-85 before he TKO'd Sean Porter. If you go to Errol Spence's fight against Sean Porter, two years earlier, and Errol Spence fought Sean Porter when he was 30-2. and 30-2. And, and he was still at the top of the level of the boxing world. Sean Porter was a top 10 fighter in the world. Top 12 fighter in the world. 
116, 111. 112, 115, 116, 111. They weren't even... The fact that Larry, Larry Hazard had um, Sean Porter up in the fight was ridiculous. It wasn't even close. It wasn't. And those are the two fights that everybody's matching. Errol Spence for Danny Garcia. Powerhouse Danny Garcia. One of the best power fighters in his division. He manhandled Danny Garcia. He embarrassed Danny Garcia. 117-111 by Tim Cheatham. 116-112, Barry Lindemann. Steve Weisfeld, 116-112. It's not close, guys. And I don't know why everybody, all these, all these boxing guys, Kel Brook, or Mike Tyson, you go up and down the roster of people, everybody is picking, picking Crawford to win this fight. And it's so funny because he is not the undisputed champion. Now, Errol Spence is not undisputed yet because Crawford has the other belt. But he will be the undisputed champion after Saturday. It's not it. And I'm going to tell you right now, the fight won't be close. And I, here's another thing I want to tell you, like I was telling John when he was on. He is a slow starter, Terrence Crawford. Errol Spence is a fast starter, but he also is strong at the end of the fights. Errol Spence has another wind in the second half of the fight. So for anybody to think that he's going to, uh, Terrence Crawford is going to go into the first, in the beginning of the fight and do what he does against any of the other fighters, you're sadly mistaken. It's not going to happen. If Terrence Crawford goes into that fight against Errol Spence and starts off slow, Errol Spence will win the fight. It's not going to be even close. I, I think Errol Spence will win seven, eight rounds of this 12-round fight. It will. It could go to split decision. I'm going to predict. You ready? A stoppage in the fight between the ninth and the eleventh round. Errol Spence will. The fight will be stopped. Terrence Crawford will be KO'd. That's my prediction. And I, I don't understand why a lot of these enthusiasts think that this fight is is going to go to Crawford. I understand that he's an ambidextrous ambidextrous fighter. He, his strength is his left, his left hand. He is a better southpaw than he is a right-handed fighter. If he tries to switch against Errol Spence, Errol Spence is that good of a fighter where he's going to go to the body, he's going to make him feel him inside. If he tries to switch it against Errol Spence, especially in the later rounds, Errol Spence, Errol Spence will knock him out. He will not, he's going to have to fight Southpaw against Errol Spence if he's going to win this fight. He's going to have to beat him at his strongest game. Errol Spence is strongest game and his strongest game. So I don't know if it's possible. Errol Spence has fought a couple of Southpaws before. He's dominated those fights. And Terrence Crawford's fought a couple of Southpaws, but he's never fought a talented fighter like Errol Spence. And here's another thing before we go and we do, uh, obviously, um, bracket wars. If you look at the last five fights for Errol Spence Jr., he, bought, he beat your Dennis Ugas, first of all. Ugas was the champion. He TKO'd Ugas. He dominated a fight 88-82, 88-82, 88-83. Then he, he beat Danny Garcia before Ugas. Danny Garcia was 36-2, and, and Danny Garcia was on a winning streak. He, Danny Garcia 
lost 117-111, 116-112, 116-112. Then the year before that, he, play, he fought Sean Porter, who was 30-2. and two, and He was at the top of his game. He beat him 116-111, 112, 115, and 116-111. Really dominated that fight. Mikey Garcia before that, in the same year, he fought. Mikey Garcia was undefeated. He was one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. He dominated the fight. 120-107, 120-108, I could go on and on and on and on. And he, and he fought these guys, all, the, all these fighters that he fought, he fought them when they were at the top of their game. He beat them at the top of their game. I'm sorry, guys, and any anybody that's a Terrence Crawford fan, and I like Terrence Crawford a lot. I really do. He bought, he fought Mir Khan in Madison Square Garden. Mir Khan was done. He was done. His career was over. He was embarrassed. He beat Jeff Horn for the belt. Jeff Horn who beat Manny Pacquiao, and by the way, Manny Pacquiao was robbed in that fight on ESPN. Jeff Horn, who's he beaten? Kel Brook at the end of his career. Sean Porter at the end of his career. He's beaten nobody. He's beaten nobody. That's why when people were comparing Manny Pacquiao to Floyd Mayweather, the only guy Floyd Mayweather beat at the top of his game was Canelo. He's the only one he beat. And, and, and Canelo was very, very young when he beat him. He was 23, 24 years old. He could have fought, Floyd Mayweather could have fought Manny Pacquiao when he was at the top of his game. For seven years, Manny Pacquiao was the best fighter in the world. And Floyd Mayweather wanted no business fighting him in the ring. And then all of a sudden, Manny Pacquiao was at the end of his career. He actually just came back and won again. But nevertheless, Manny Pacquiao was at the end of his time at the top of his division. And then he beat him because Manny Pacquiao wasn't 100% healthy. So it's a different thing, but... These guys are at the top of their game. This is something that everybody's looking forward to seeing. These guys are the best of the best. They're undefeated. One of these guys are going home with a loss on Saturday. And that's the best thing about this. And one of them are going to go home as the undisputed champion. So it's going to be fun, ladies and gentlemen. Bracket Wars tonight. The number two, number 12 seed, Eli Manning versus the number five seed, Derek Jeter. And the number 11 seed, Willis Reed against the number six seed, Michael Strahan. Here we go. It's time for Bracket. 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 It's time for Bracket Wars. Speedy, who do we want to go with first? Uh, let's do the Willis Reed, Michael Strahan. The number 11 seed, Willis Reed, the lad, one of the greatest captains for the New York Knickerbockers. Really, he was the greatest captain for the New York Knickerbockers. In 10 NBA seasons, Reed averaged 18.7 points per game, 12.9 rebounds per game, and 1.8 assists per game with a 47.4 field goal percentage and a 74.7 free throw percentage. Reed was seven t- was a seven-time All-Star, a five-time first-team All-NBA player, and also won Rookie of the Year in an All-Defensive Team honor and an NBA MVP. Reed had 8,414 total rebounds in 10 NBA seasons, 74th in the NBA history, third in Knicks history. In seven playoff seasons and 78 playoff games, Reed averaged 17.4 points per game. And 10.3 rebounds per game. Reed was an NBA Finals MVP in both Knicks championships and infamously played through a muscle tear in his right thigh in Game 7 in 1970. Honestly, he's 
you could say he's a top three Nick of all time. He's the greatest captain the New York Knicks have ever had. Yeah, and it's a shame he didn't have that kind of longevity. Obviously, that injury in that game seven as well that he played through is definitely one of the most inspirational performances when it comes from an injury perspective, too. And the injuries, again, hurt his career later. I think he missed the entirety of the 73-74 season and was forced to retire, too. But definitely one of the best big men of that era, too, and one of the best players in Knicks history for sure. Michael Strahan, the number six seed. In 14 NFL seasons, Strahan had 854 total tackles, 24 forced fumbles, 17 fumble recoveries, 131 tackles for loss, and a 141.5 sacks in his career. Strahan was a seven-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, and a member of the 2000s Hall of Fame All-Decade team. Strahan led the NFL in sacks in both 2001 and 2003 and had a double-digit sack season six times in his career. Shayan had 22.5 sacks in 2001, which was the NFL single season record until new sack data came out a few years ago, giving the Lions Al Baker that sack total. In 10 career playoff games, Strahan had 48 total tackles, 9.5 sacks, 9 tackles for loss, 3 forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery, and won a Super Bowl in Super Bowl 42 in the final year of his career in 2007. Michael Strahan is the best defensive player besides Lawrence Taylor to come out as a New York Giant. I, I think one of the greatest leaders and one of the, really one of the greatest athletes, you know, one of the greatest ending careers to become one of the greatest careers as an analyst. He's been fantastic and moving up and making tons and tons of money on what he's doing right now in his second part of his career. Yeah, he's read a studio analyst like Good Morning America. He definitely has done a lot since then, but also one of the most well-rounded pass rushers, too, of this generation, too. You talk about rushing, being able to rush with power, great strength, even brute strength towards the end of his career, but his moves are very good, too. Just as good as a lot of speed rushers throughout this league. You compare him with a lot of the best pass rushers of this generation. I think Julius Peppers probably is the best one, but Strahan has argument for the second place at that point too but definitely one of the best besides Lawrence Taylor like you were saying in Giants history who do you got I got Strahan here. I got Michael Strahan too I think Michael Strahan and that doesn't that's not taking shots no. at Willis Reed I just think Michael Strahan is one of the one of the greatest defensive players we have ever seen come out of New York football so and in really the face of New York you know as far as analysts and broadcasters he's been really the face of football for the last couple of years and good morning America mm-hmm. Eli Manning, the number 12 seed, in 16 seasons and 236 games in his career, Manning had 57,023 passing yards, 366 touchdowns, 60.3 percentage completion percentage, and an 84.1 passing rating. Eli's 10th all-time in both passing yards and passing touchdowns. Eli started 210 consecutive games from 2004 to 2017, third longest streak in NFL history. In 12 career playoff games, Eli had 2,815 passing yards and 18 passing touchdowns. Eli was a five-time Pro Bowler and a two-time Super Bowl MVP. Honestly, the greatest New York quarterback of all time. You can argue with the Jets. I I don't want to hear about Joe Namath. (laughs) Uh, he, he He did have that guarantee win in 1969. Great for him. He didn't. He didn't have the longevity like Eli Manning. Eli Manning, uh, you know, he he's been attacked by New York fans for years. He's no good. He's no this. He's no that. 
He was drafted in 2004, demanding his way to New York when he was drafted by San Diego. And uh, it took him a little while, but in 2007, he knocked off the New England Patriots, the undefeated New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl and, and really put his name and stamped his name to New York football. And then in 2011, and 2011-2012, doing it again. It's just an amazing story from a quarterback that was being compared by everybody to his brother, who arguably is one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Well, there's a reason Eli Manning is in this uh, bracket, and Joe Namath is not. Joe Namath was not one of my my three Jets that I picked, because Eli Manning was a lot better statistically, and top 10 all-time in both passing touchdowns and passing yards. I know people criticize him for his interceptions. A lot of his interceptions came in bulk in a lot of the same games. There were particular teams he had a lot of issues with in his career, including the Philadelphia Eagles during the regular season, Vikings, Seahawks, etc., but those came in bunches, and they were better off later on until towards the end of his career. He had a great stretch at the beginning of that 2010 stretch where he didn't throw a lot of interceptions the same way too and like you're saying just really good in the playoffs all around the number five seed Derek Jeter in 20 MLB season Jeter had a, a .310 uh, well 310 uh, batting average with 260 home runs 1,311 RBIs 3,465 hits and 1,923 runs scored Jeter was a 14, 14 time all-star five-time gold glove winner and five-time silver slugger winner and a rookie of the year in 158 career playoff games Jeter was a career 308 hitter with 20 home runs 61 RBIs 200 hits and 111 runs scored Jeter is the first is first in hits in Yankee history and six all-time in MLB history Jeter won five World Series and won a World Series MVP in 2000 against the Mets. Derek Jeter is one of the biggest faces in Yankee history. Probably the greatest shortstop to ever play for the Yankees. Uh, when you're getting compared to Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth and Luke Gehrig and Yogi Berra and all these great players, it's going to be hard to be compared to and, and being compared as a top 10 player in Yankee history. Uh, when he probably wasn't he, he wasn't the best player on the Yankees in the the 2000s, but uh, one of the greatest Yankees to ever play the game. Yeah, and he, yeah, that's a rich history to deal it on. Like a lot of other teams' histories, he would be in that top three tier. But yeah, that not all around playoff numbers, but or offensive numbers, but his playoff numbers are still off the charts too, and was very consistent throughout that time too. When a lot of these other guys, including A. Rod, that was probably a better all around player than Jeter, had some really bad playoff years, he was still really consistent steadily throughout that three thousand hit club, like you were saying, sixth all time. Now his defensive stats weren't as good as people think, and his power numbers were still down. So there are definitely flaws in his game, but still one of the greatest of all time. Who do you got? I want to pick Eli, but I got to go Jeter here. I'm going Jeter, too. I, it's hard It's hard for me to do that because I'm not a Jeter. I know. I, I was curious if you would go against it. I was, I was curious. No, I've got Jeter. But I want to see what the fans have to say about it. I, you did pick Tom Brady last time. We didn't expect you to. But I was hard not to. I, I know. Now you have to do the same thing with Derek Jeter. But, yeah, we'll see what the fans think. But mm-hmm. Jeter and uh, Strahan both move on. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to Riley Leonard. He's fantastic. I really love the kid, and I want him to do so well this year for Duke. And I want him to be a top draft pick. So thank you to Riley Leonard. Thank you to Julian Gilardi. I know he's very, very busy. Congratulations to a successful podcast. His Yankee a podcast called The Dugout Station. Uh, check them out. They're fantastic. And 
uh, he's just, he's a nice guy. So uh, and he knows Nathan. He's a good friend of Nathan. <laughs> so uh, very interesting fellow. But thank you to all the fans. Thank you to all the fans out there listening to us um, all around the country and all around the world. We really appreciate you guys. Keep listening to us. Listen to the Weekend Crunch, which airs every single Saturday on one hundred three point nine at seven p.m. Uh, great guests and, and really great content. Two hours of really crunching all the topics that we get into throughout the week on one topic. It, it really is fantastic. Uh, it, it's a fantastic show on 103.9, so tune in. Uh, it's, it's, it's really as good as it gets as far as shows around the country on, one, on an FM dial. So thank you to all the fans listening to us. Listen to us next week on Wednesday. Speedy will be going on vacation next Friday, but he, we will still be doing the show the week after. Uh, he will be going for a couple of days to Washington and Maryland, enjoying the time with his family. But uh, we uh, tune in next week. What do we have uh, lined up next so week? So Daryl Reed will come on next week. He'll be coming on at 11 o'clock. He was very apologetic on, on Instagram messaging us. So he really wants to come back on. So he's the only known guest we have on at 11 o'clock at the moment, but we'll definitely have more that want to come on as well. I also want to mention before we go, breaking news, David Robertson is traded to the Miami Marlins. The Mets will get two position player prospects. Interesting. It's, the Mets are probably giving up for the season. Yep. If they're trading David Robertson, it's give up the season. So Buck Showalter probably will be out. The Mets will probably be hiring a new manager, uh, and they're going to probably go another route. I expect them to spend some money again this offseason uh, and try to trade Sterling Marte, uh, who has been an absolute bust for them since they brought him in. So uh, It's going to be an interesting offseason for both the Yankees and the Mets. I think both managers could be fired mm. and uh, be looking for new jobs, but uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Good night, everybody. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.